Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. It's called the oldest profession for a reason. The earliest written evidence we have for the existence of prostitution comes from a Sumerian list of professions thought to have been created way back in 2400 BCE, over 44 centuries ago. Prostitution has existed in damn near every society and culture in the history of the world, from ancient Greece and ancient Rome to ancient China to colonial America to the modern day. While I won't dig into the history of prostitution in ancient America, know that the Aztecs did have sex workers, as did the Incas. The Mayans also thought to have had prostitutes. Of course they did. Wherever and whenever there has been sex, there have been those willing to sell it and those willing to pay for it. Prostitution still very much alive and well today. Currently, there are about 42 million people who work as prostitutes in the world. Estimates place the annual revenue generated by prostitution worldwide to be around 186 billion U.S. dollars. For perspective, that's over three times the revenue generated by all of console gaming. Around $50 billion in annual revenue for PlayStation, Xbox, and all the other console gaming platforms combined. Is all that money being made selling sex a good or a bad thing? Some view prostitution as a form of exploitation and often violence. And in many cases, that's exactly what it is. But others say that legalized prostitution lowers overall incidence of rape and sexual violence. And there's evidence for that too. And many believe that legal or not, bad or good, it's going to happen, so why criminalize it? Shouldn't we do our best to decriminalize it and protect society's sex workers? But there is evidence that more legal prostitution leads to more illegal sex trafficking. However, even if it does, on a basic freedom level, aren't our bodies ours to sell? I mean, if we can legally give sex away to anyone who wants it, why can't we sell it? The debate regarding prostitution being legal or outlawed has raged for centuries, and we examine it again today. We look into the history of prostitution and so much more related to sex work in today's sucking and fucking oldest human history roller coaster ride of an episode edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. <laughs> you're listening. 
Happy Monday and Happy New Year, Meat Sacks. I know I gave the same greeting last week because that was the last episode of 2021, but feel like I also need to do it again here on the first episode of 2022. Crazy. Going into the sixth year of the suck, six years this September, long enough for most people to get a master's degree. Will we all have master uh, degree equivalents uh, regarding knowledge from listening to all these shows? Uh, No, no, probably not. But holy shit. Have I learned so much since this thing launched? And based on messages, I know a lot of you feel the same. So let's keep it going. Long live the suck. Um, Dan Cummins, the suck master, suck nasty, the sex sucker, sarsaparilla tamer. And you are listening to Time Suck. And if the suck sounds a bit different, it's because we have a big new fancy studio. Same location as the old studio, but completely redesigned. Custom sound panels cover the walls that turn this office room into what looks like a crazy teacher's basement you know, uh, office. I-, I love it so much. It feels so right for the show. So great job, uh, Logan Keith, on the design. Great job, Joe Paisley, on the big gear upgrade, mastering uh, all the all the new tech enhancements and putting this all together. Uh, thank you for all the support you've given this show by subscribing on Patreon Meat Sacks or by listening to ads or by buying merch. We just dumped a lot of money back into the suck and very grateful. I uh, got a true studio-quality giant teleprompter now. Same microphone, because it's the best, uh, but all the recording equipment is new and much improved. The setup mirrored after the same multi-cam setup used for Scared to Death and as we dumb, but with some upgrades, so fucking fun. Uh, never seen another podcast recording setup quite like this. Yes, Joe Rogan and others at this at that level uh, do have professional video setups, you know, solid multi-cam directing, all that stuff, uh, you know, broadcast quality, but do they have this level of a stylized visual look? I don't think they do. Uh, and the sound, more dynamic range for a more conversational, realistic experience, uh, more comfortable now where I'm sitting, how I can move so I can sell these stories more naturally. Always looking for little ways to uh, get better. And I truly hope this all makes the show more fun to listen to, uh, more fun to watch. So well done again, uh, Logan and, and Joe. Uh, you both crushed it. Hail Nimrod. And, uh, and thank you, Nimrod. You have blessed me time and time again on the show. Hail Lucifina. You are the best muse. To keep me inspired, uh, praise good boy Bojangles, a consistent reminder to stay strong and follow your principles in this life. And Michael motherfucking McDonald, Triple M, Triple M, uh, you keep me feeling good and silly, you strange, talented son of a bitch. And of course, uh, the studio cannot fix the uh, mush mouth, which I, I do realize as I'm thinking about it, a lot of it comes from me having conflicting thoughts. Um, I have, should I say it this way or should I say something that way? And those thoughts converge in my mind and then my mouth is like trying to produce both of those Sounds at the same time, which doesn't work out into uh, a recognizable language. Uh, Two quick announcements before so much knowledge and irreverence today. Uh, Symphony of Insanity stand-up tour dates and the first charity of 2022. Uh, Right after announcing my Richmond replacement dates for Austin shows when the club there wasn't able to open in time due to COVID supply chain problems, now Richmond not open uh, on time either. Not going to be able to open on time for the same reason. So February 4th and 5th, apparently that weekend for me, touring-wise, is cursed. Nimrod does not want me to go on the road that weekend. So you know what? Fuck it. I won't. I will follow your divine will, Nimrod. Uh, Richmond will come later in the year uh, in all likelihood, just like Austin will. Every other, every other spring date, still on. Uh, January 20th through the 22nd at La Jolla, the Comedy Store. January 23rd at the West Hollywood Comedy Store. February 18th and 19th at the Orlando Improv. March 4th and 5th at Bricktown in Oklahoma City. March 17th through the 19th in Atlanta at the Punchline. March 25 and 26 in Charlotte 
at the Comedy Zone. April 15th and 16th at the Improv in Tempe. April 23rd in Missoula at the Wilma. Uh, April 28th through 30th at Goodnights in Raleigh, North Carolina. May 13th through 15th in Salt Lake City at Wise Guys. June 10th at Rhythm City Casino in Davenport, Iowa. And June 11th at Talia Hall in Chicago. So fuck yeah, bro. And that's all for the spring. And by the end of the spring, uh, I'll announce fall dates, include the next album slash special taping, which is uh, hopefully going to happen in St. Louis. That's the plan. And then maybe I can announce all of 2023 by the end of 2022. Maybe it will finally uh, be normal enough again to make long range tour plans like that. All Symphony of Insanity dates up at dancummins.tv and now charity. The first Bad Magic production charity of 2022 going to be Love Thy Neighbor. Lindsay and I met the lovely badass ladies who run this 5013C nonprofit, primarily serving Denver and the surrounding area. Last time I was touring there doing shows at uh, Comedy Works. Working with uh, generous local businesses, these living saints hand out free food to the homeless. They also give clothing, shoes, blankets, etc. Distribute them to the homeless. They literally keep people alive by supplying, by supplying both food and clothing to people homeless in a cold, cold city. So to find out more and or donate yourself, please go to ltnsocks.com and now on to the uh, so simple on one hand but so complicated and multifaceted on the other topic of prostitution and its history on this strange floating rock of ours yeah 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 prostitution is probably as old as human civilization itself while we have written records that date back to 2400 BCE there's never been a human society without sex and there's probably never been a human society without some form of transactional sex so it probably goes a lot further than 2400 bce uh, cute cavemen trying to get blowjobs with cool looking shiny rocks maybe some freshly killed animal today in addition to examining the history of prostitution and our timeline going to ask and examine a lot of sex work related questions what exactly is prostitution how is it defined are prostitute and sex worker interchangeable terms Why are most prostitutes women? Why are most clients men? Where does prostitution occur around the world? What is sex tourism? How does it harm? How does it help? What should the government's role be regarding prostitution? Should it be legal or not? What do sex robots have to do with the future of prostitution? So many questions. A full history and discussion of prostitution could be an entire podcast of its own. So per usual with a monster, diverse topic like this, you know, we'll leave a lot of stones unturned, but we'll also, you know, cover a lot of interesting ground. In under three hours. So let's uh, let's begin. Uh, what counts as prostitution? Right? Uh, let's get a, not, not, not really as simple as it seems definition out there. According to dictionary.com, prostitution is a noun defined as the act or practice of engaging in sexual intercourse for money. And then there's a secondary definition, base or unworthy use as of talent or ability. Uh, the second definition implies someone essentially just wasting their talent by doing something only for money when they could be doing something with more artistic merit or integrity. So, you know, pretty subjective, but some examples could be uh, instances of actors starring in shitty movies, Dean Beneath Them, or at least the role they played, you know, uh, you know, Beneath Them, taken just for the paycheck, perhaps. Michael Caine in the sequel to Jaws. Uh, you know, he said in interviews, not his proudest moment. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton in Armageddon, Eddie Murphy in Best Defense, Nicolas Cage in so many fucking movies. Solid actors who've taken roles in uh, shitty movies or a shitty role in a decent movie just because the work was easy and the money was good. That is viewed by some as prostituting oneself or whoring oneself out. The first definition I shared, pretty straightforward. And the one that obviously pertains to what we're discussing here today. Engaging in sexual intercourse for money. But that's just one online dictionary. Looking at two others, we quickly see how the definition varies a bit 
from source to source. McMillan defines prostitution as the work done by prostitutes or the use of a skill or ability on something that is not worth it in order to earn money. So that thing about the movies again. Uh, what does what work does a prostitute do according to the McMillan folks? Someone who's paid to have sex with people. Sex with people, not quite as specific as intercourse. Because sex itself is often not defined as only being limited to sexual intercourse. Finally, Merriam-Webster defines prostitution as the act or practice of engaging in promiscuous sexual relations, especially for money. Interesting. Uh, Merriam-Webster also does not use the word intercourse, doesn't even limit it to money specifically. I replaced uh, intercourse with the broader term of relations. Three of the English language's biggest dictionaries cannot agree on exactly how to define prostitution, sex, sexual relations, or intercourse. Personally, I've always considered prostitution being limited to intercourse, but I'm not really sure why I thought that. That doesn't really fit when I think more on it, right? That view doesn't include sexual acts like uh, hand jobs, does it? Right? Not even being silly or crude for humor's sake here, just analyzing how to define it. I mean, if you only jerked people off or you, or you fingered them, aka digital stimulation for women, kind of like how old-timey doctors as recently as within the past century used to treat women for hysteria, quote-unquote, uh, as we've discussed in a few episodes, by stimulating their uh, clitoris with their hands or with tools until they came. Is that a kind of prostitution? I mean, I guess it is, isn't it? But it seems more, uh, for lack of a better word, harmless, lesser form, zero risk of pregnancy or STDs if just basic precautions are taken, less intimate, maybe pretty common as well. 2021 Forbes article referenced a $4.5 billion a year erotic massage industry in the U.S. alone, $4.5 billion, just one country. Various massage parlors all around the U.S., big cities and small towns alike have offered or currently offer sexual acts. The slang I've heard most commonly associated with these businesses is uh, rub and tuck. To quote this article, massages involving sexual acts are everywhere in the United States. If the masseuse only uses their hands to bring someone to orgasm and not their genitals or mouth, is that not prostitution? According to U.S. legal codes, yes, it is. Outside of some Nevada counties, prostitution involving engaging, agreeing, or offering to engage in sexual conduct with another person in return for a fee. That's how it's defined legally generally in the U.S. Extra handy massages fall under sexual conduct. Uh, a New York court ruled that sexual conduct as it relates to prostitution may include sexual intercourse, deviant sexual intercourse, mm-hmm, uh, and masturbation or certain acts that are suggestive of conduct done to satisfy a sexual desire in uh, the People versus Hinsman. Pretty broad definition of sexual activity there. Uh, likewise, a California court, court noted that sexual conduct may include lewd acts where the genitals buttocks or female breasts of either the prostitute or the customer come in contact with some part of the body for sexual arousal or gratification of the customer or of the prostitute in California versus Campbell. That's a broad definition too, but not as broad since it mentions coming into contact with some part of the body. I feel like the New York definition could include, for example, in addition to massage type sexual acts, webcam sex workers being directed into engaging in various sexual acts by someone paying to watch them from their computer. Right? These customers aren't touching them, don't even know where they are in the world, but they are paying for an act engaging in conduct done to satisfy a sexual desire. We'll get into the debate of what uh, new forms of delayed sex work may count as prostitution uh, a little bit later, but, uh, but, but, not, but not too much. Uh, until then, I'll be counting uh, only sexual acts involving physical touch as sex work. Sex work, a, a newer term for prostitution. I'll describe how that term came about here soon as well. 
Prostitution also sometimes described as sexual services, commercial sex, or colloquially hooking. Female prostitutes are sometimes called call girls, courtesans, escorts, pros, working girls, and of course, uh, you know, all the more vulgar and derogatory terms. Here's an incomplete list of those. Uh, Streetwalker, lady of the night, lady of pleasure, floozy, tramp, whore, pussy, trollop, fallen woman, shrub slut, ween washer, pancake batter collector. All right, those last three are are ones that maybe I just kind of threw out there, but the rest are real. Uh, The most derogatory one I can think of, one of the top insults you could hurl at someone's mom, for example, when I was in junior high or high school, was cum dumpster. This term didn't necessarily imply that one got paid to have sex with strangers. It could just mean someone who uh, has sex with a lot of dudes in rapid succession, but it also often implied getting paid for it. Obviously, very degrading and derogatory but the junior high kid in me still laughs uh, when I hear it because I remember how infuriating you could make someone with this term, uh, usually tossed around against people's moms, yes, sisters, sometimes girlfriends, uh, rarely based in any reality whatsoever, used only to insult. If someone was like, oh, I heard Sarah's going to go to homecoming with Johnny. <laughs> Guess she's not going to say yes if you ask her. You know, you could lash out and needlessly escalate things to 11 immediately by saying something like, yeah, well, maybe I should ask your mom because I heard she's a fucking cum dumpster. Cue possible fight. Uh, while those terms are for women, there's plenty of slang for male prostitutes too. Rent boy, call boy, gigolo, all common slang terms for male prostitutes. Uh, additional slang terms are hustler, gay for pay, fuck boy, uh, cock waiter. Uh, cock waiter, not a slang term, but I, I feel like it should be. I'm trying to get this one out there. Uh, a cock waiter is like a waiter at a restaurant, but instead of bringing you food and drink, the cock waiter brings you nothing but hard dick and balls, right? You get it. Kind of like a, a sexual Grubhub driver, but only bringing you dick. Maybe an app for this could be like a uh, knob hub or rub hub. And then the slang for the sex worker could be a rub hubber or I don't know. I probably should have stopped it up. Probably should stop a cock waiter. Uh, where does the word prostitute come from? Let's get into some etymology. Uh, the first known definition of what we consider to be a form of modern day prostitution found in the 13th century in the statutes of the French city of Marseille. Statutes included a chapter entitled uh, De Metricibus, uh, or Metri- Met- 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 Metricibus, Mer- Meritricibus. I don't know. It's Latin. Uh, regarding prostitutes, the statutes designated prostitutes as public girls who day and night received two or more men in their house and as a woman who did business trading their bodies within the confines of a brothel. Interesting that the term is uh, relegated only to females, right? Going through a lot of historical research this week, while male prostitution has existed around the world for millennia, uh, when being written about prostitution, almost always framed as a female vocation with a male clientele. Not always, but almost always. Uh, the earliest historical references to specifically male prostitutes, excuse me, seem to come from ancient Greece, uh, from 5th century BCE Athens, while written uh, references to female prostitutes go back to ancient Sumer. Why is the history of prostitution almost always men hiring women, followed by men hiring men? Women hiring anyone seems to be uh, a, a very distant third place. So why is uh, you know prostitution generally men paying women? Uh, I think I can explain. We're overall definitely the hornier sex. Lucifina knows. Uh, in 2016, a YouGov national survey asked 1,000 American adults ages 18 plus, have you ever paid someone else for sex? 12% of men said yes compared to just 1% of women. And I bet if that survey, survey was taken 100 years ago and people were being honest, more than 12% of men would have said yes. Less than 1% of women would have said yes due to less equitable views on sexuality between men and women. And why do men seek out paid sex again? More than women, a lot of factors partially because we've been culturally allowed to do so. Men have been judged less harshly historically, are still less harshly judged today for chasing our dicks around. I'd say a certain amount of that is uh, almost expected, almost revered, right? Sow them wild oats. Get out there, stud. 
Uh, women have not, not historically been given the same cultural permission around the world. If they were given it, maybe they would uh, seek out paid sex more often. But no, how much? But no, but no matter uh, how much permission women are ever given, I don't think women will ever compete with men when it comes to seeking out paid sex or sex in general. Exceptions exist, obviously, but overall, men are wired to seek out sex more. Hormonally, the sexual differences in the two sexes are uh, immense. Men biologically have a more powerful and more straightforward sex drive thanks primarily to much higher levels of testosterone. After puberty, men produce on average 20 times more testosterone than women. And testosterone helps regulate libido and increase muscle mass and strength, amongst other things. And, uh, you know, thought in large part due to more testosterone, study after study shows that men's sex drives are not only stronger than women's, but much more straightforward. Sexual desire in women is extremely sensitive to environment and context, says Edward Lawman, PhD, noted sexual researcher. Lawman's a professor of sociology at the University of Chicago and lead author of a major survey of sexual practices titled The Social Organization of Sexuality, Sexual Practices in the United, in the United States. And Lawman reports, and these reports mirror many other studies, that the majority of adult men under 60 think about sex at least once a day, compared to only one quarter of women, over 50% compared to around 25%. Also, as men and women age, each fantasize less. Uh, uh, men continue, though, to fantasize about twice as often as women. Can confirm, uh, no matter how much sex I'm having, or how little, uh, whether I masturbate uh, that day or not, I always think about sex at least a few times a day, even when I'm sick. Um, you know, I never know when the thoughts are just going to float on in. Maybe I open Instagram to see what some comics I know are up to, and then some uh, promoted post is uh, of some sexy lady, and then I wonder what she looks like naked. So I Google her name plus the word nude. And if pictures of her don't show up, other pictures of, uh, you know, other naked women do. And now I feel some blood moving below. My mind is often run with a variety of images. Uh, it feels like a curse sometimes. You know, I'll snap out of some simple fantasy, just images, usually no dialogue. And just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Get back to work. I don't feel any shame over sexual fantasies or masturbation at all. I think it's totally natural. Uh, just annoyance. But if I uh, wasn't, uh, you know, uh, always hor horny, I guess I'd be sad. I feel like my manhood was fading and I'd be losing a part of my identity I've had ever since puberty. And, and I definitely feel like I'm in the normal range with dudes having these kind of thoughts. We're a very horny bunch. And I know, I know, a lot of women have very powerful sex drives too. Not saying uh, that that doesn't happen. But again, on an overall level, dudes are way hornier. Science backs me up here. In a survey of studies comparing male and female sex drives, Roy Baumeister Social psychologist at Florida State University found that men reported more spontaneous sexual arousal, had more frequent and varied fantasies than women. Uh, and a lot of other, you know, studies back this up. Men want sex more often than women at the start of a relationship, in the middle of it, and after many years of it, Baumeister concludes, after reviewing several surveys of men and women. This is not just true of heterosexuals, he says. Gay men also have sex more often than lesbians at all stages of relationships. Men also say they want more sexual partners in their lifetime and are more interested in casual sex than women. Men and women also appear to take different paths to arrive at sexual desire. Esther Perel, a New York City psychotherapist, says, I hear women say in my office that desire originates much more between the ears than between the legs. For women, there is a need for a plot, hence the romance novel. It is more about the anticipation, how you get there. It is the longing that is the fuel of desire. Women's desire is more contextual, more subjective, more layered on a lattice of emotion, Perel adds. Men, by contrast, don't uh, have uh, nearly as much imagination, Meryl says, uh, since sex is simpler and much more straightforward for them. Yes. Uh-huh. Could not agree more with all this based on my own anecdotal uh, experience with sex. 
Yes, for some women, sex way less emotional than for others. Uh, yes, uh, some men are going to be more emotional about sex than some women for sure. But overall tendencies, me being horny or not, pretty much only depends on me being tired or not. If I'm tired, I'm just less horny. <laughs> if I'm not tired, I'm right fucking ready to go. Let's get it on! Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. A battle is brewing in Dan and Lindsay's bedroom. Dan got eight hours of sleep and woke up ready to go. Can the purple-headed warrior from down south, the diamond-cutting custard slinger from just north of Sackville, convince Lindsay's Polish love tunnel, the Queen's Cleveland beaver, the Idaho panty party hamster to come out and play? Does she feel emotionally connected? Does she have too much to do to start her day? Does she feel bloated? Should I have made a move last night? Is my window now shut? One man might enter. Get your tickets online for a fight guaranteed not to last more than five minutes. But seriously, though, uh, I don't need foreplay. Don't need romance. Don't need, don't need uh, to fantasize the same way. Sorry, Lucifina. Uh, when I jerk off, I could literally not care less about the personality or morals or anything else regarding the object of my fantasy. It's just physical looks. If the worst serial killer in fucking history had a great waist to hips to bust line ratio, a nice face, was wearing some stiletto heels, and had the right lingerie on, my dick could not care less about the victims. <laughs> I'm just being very honest. If the shape is right, his shape is right too. I felt, I felt betrayed by my dick on numerous occasions. Maybe some movie or TV show is uh, on featuring some actress who personally I find morally repugnant, right? But then, you know, she, you know she's, uh, she looks good and he starts moving around down there and, uh, you know, getting, getting ready for action in his old dick mind. He's a, fuck, he's a fucking dirtbag. He's pure id. And based on decades of uh, conversations with other dudes, the overwhelming majority of other guys seem to agree. Based on lots of talks with women, though, personality seems to factor uh, much more heavily into attraction. And I don't want to turn this into some fucking men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, bullshit discussion. But interesting to point all this out. I don't think for a second that there are more female prostitutes only due to almost every culture on earth being part of a long running patriarchy. I think the basic instinctive drive to procreate biology has so much to do with it. Basic biology is what kicked off the patriarchy in the first place. Male humans, like the males of most other species, on average, bigger and stronger, again, thanks to testosterone, and that plus never being physically bogged down with pregnancies allowed human males to start and then maintain patriarchies. It allowed males to subjugate females in various ways, including authoring cultural norms and laws, making chastity for women far more important than it is for men. It allowed for the narrative of the male sexual conqueror being upheld as a man to be admired. Uh, It shaped the creation of the virginal female as the counterpart to that male, an extension of the male's genetic legacy. A lot of ancient wars fought over that genetic legacy. Dudes, uh, just hornier. Of course we are. We're animals, and for most of our life, our species, uh, you know, it was uh, important for strong males to impregnate as many females as possible, to spread the strongest genes, to strengthen the species, to push out weaker genes. Only recently, species-wise, did humans evolve to become monogamous, uh, where even comparatively, uh, you know, weak beta males get to have sex with females and kick out lots of kids too. We'll see long. We'll see long term if that's a, a good thing. Uh, 2011, Emma Nelson of the University of uh, Liverpool and her colleagues looked at the finger bones of ancient hominid fossils. From what they found, they concluded that hominids 4.4 million years ago mated with many females. The males did, obviously. Uh, By about 3.5 million years ago, however, the finger length ratio indicated that hominids had shifted more towards monogamy. And even then, for a couple million years, it was a serial monogamy that was kind of followed. Strongest, most powerful males, emperors, and kings still spread their seed openly to many partners within the last millennium. Okay, back now to the origins of prostitution terminology. Uh, 14th century English tract. Oh, (laughs) fasciculus morum, fasciculus morum. A handbook for preachers written in Latin by an English uh, Franciscan friar states that the term prostitute, termed meritrix, 
in this document must be applied only to those women who give themselves to anyone and refuse none, and that for monetary gain. Now, the actual word prostitute first arose in the 1520s, meaning to offer to indiscriminate sexual intercourse, usually in exchange for money. I find it interesting that a lot of definitions don't uh, aren't you know hard on the money part. Can be for money, doesn't have to be. Uh, it comes from the Latin word uh, pros- prostitutus. Prostitutus, a past participle, a past participle of prostitaria, to expose to prostitution, exposed publicly from uh, pro before plus uh, statuary, cost a stand established from uh, the root uh, stand to make to be made firm. A literal translation would be to put up front for sale or to place forward. One final note on etymology, for you word nerds: the English word uh, whore, uh, whore derives from the old English word hora. From the Proto-Germanic horon, meaning prostitute, which derives from a Proto-Indo-European root for the word desire. The root word has also given us uh, caris, meaning dear, as in my dear one, which evolved into the French share for dear, expensive, and the Latin uh, caritas, meaning love, charity. So just interesting that the root for prostitution and whore uh, close to the roots for words like uh, love and charity. And I mean, it definitely is a charitable kind of love when you really break it down. Uh, now that we've gone over where the word prostitution comes from, let's talk about where prostitution itself tends to occur. Prostitution can occur, obviously, anywhere. Historically, it has uh, tended to occur mainly in brothels, establishments specifically dedicated to the business of prostitution, where a variety of sex workers are employed as long-term employees. And these brothels are often located in an area of the city officials have, have designated as the place to uh, allow a certain amount of vice to be tolerated by law enforcement in an effort to reduce that vice occurring in other areas of the city, often the city's so-called red light district. Uh, Just like most industries, the internet has also changed prostitution. Now there are a variety of online escort services where companionship can be sought out that may not explicitly promise sex, but implies it. Some of these places are virtual brothels, where a stable of prostitutes are represented by the same agency but don't actually work in the same building. Uh, Sex can, uh, you know, also be found online in places like Craigslist, which came under fire in 2009 for enabling prostitution, uh, was sued by some 40 U.S. states, uh, attorney generals, local prosecutors, uh, and law enforcement officials. Uh, Reminds me of Spokane area Dwayne from the Craigslist killer suck. Remember that guy? Remember that fun guy? Remember his uh, sex offer? He posted in uh, classifiedads.com, kind of a Craigslist equivalent. I'm a 40-year-old orally fixated man seeking women in the Spokane area with one desire, to have their pussies eaten. Married, single, and everything in between. No strings attached, no reciprocation required. You provide transportation and a safe spot to do the deed. Please direct all inquiries via text. And then a 509 area code number. That's still one of the funniest things I found researching any of these sucks. Fucking kills me. Spokane area Dwayne, uh, only not a prostitute, I'm guessing, because, you know, actually charging for the service he's uh, stating he provides probably would cut down on a lot of potential offer takers. Uh, Spokane area Dwayne makes me think about a, a brothel of straight male gigolos. Gay male prostitutes uh, might behave differently, but based on my sexual desires and the desires of most uh, straight dudes I know, I feel like there would be a serious sliding scale for sexual services if men were deciding, you know, how to charge, how to charge women. Like if a hot woman wanted sex with a gigolo <laughs> at the gigolo brothel, I think he's, uh, you know, pretty likely to throw in some freebies, you know, uh, much more likely than if the tables were turned. Maybe going to charge way less than he would if he were not attracted to the client. The sliding scale would be based, you know, just almost entirely on just physical attractiveness. Like if you're a knockout, you're a 10 with good hygiene. You smell nice. Your teeth are clean. Maybe you get an hour of sex for free. Maybe, maybe you can even flip shit around and now the gigolo is paying you for sex. But your friend Becky 
If she's, say, uh, a two or a three on the one to 10 scale, if she maybe has less of an hourglass shape and more of a, a meat of a shape body, if she smells uh, less like sexy scented lotions and perfumes and more like a, a cat litter box and psoriasis medication or something, maybe she's getting charged, you know, two or $3,000 for, <laughs> for the same sexual experience. And I know what I just said is, you know, is mean, but also it's fucking honest. That's how most guys, uh, straight guys, uh, operate sexually. Uh, another common form of prostitution is street walking. The practice of waiting at a street corner or walking certain blocks is a way to drum up clientele. These sex workers usually dress in skimpy, provocative clothing to let you know that they're, you know, not just, just out getting some fresh air. Not wearing fishnet stockings and heels and a bra top under an open jacket in front of a laundromat because, you know, all of her other outfits are dirty. Now, this is marketing. Uh, servicing customers, a.k.a. Johns for the streetwalker, often described as turning tricks. Sex usually performed in the customer's car, maybe in a nearby alley or in a rented room. The room is often found in motels and hotels that rent by the half hour or the full hour. And this is the most dangerous way to uh, engage in prostitution, as we've learned from numerous serial killer sucks, where this uh, type of sex worker has made themselves a relatively easy target for sexual predators time and time again. Another also super dangerous variant of streetwalking occurs at truck stops, with prostitutes sometimes contacting truckers over CB radio, arranging a meeting point, or by just advertising uh, you know, uh, themselves in and around uh, truck stop lounges. These sex workers, typically uh, called lot lizards, We've talked about this type of sex work and the happy face uh, killer suck and the truck stop killer suck and maybe mention it in a a few other sad stories. Uh, If you have uh, not liked the use of the term prostitute so far in the suck, I'm guessing you wish I would just consistently say sex worker. Uh, Here's my explanation there. I've primarily used the term prostitute only because historically that's the term most associated with what we're talking about today. Uh, Language though constantly evolving. This term is being phased out. Uh, In the past couple of decades, there's been a a movement to move away from the word prostitute and towards the term sex worker. In 1978, Carol Lay, a sex worker and activist, coined the term sex work, intending to show that those who did sex work were human beings, right? She wanted sex workers to be defined by their other qualities, like you would define any other person outside of their job. And in the case that something bad happens, to make it less easy for law enforcement to write off attacks on women operating as sex workers. For example, if someone were to say three women who were sex workers were killed last week by a serial killer, that's better than three prostitutes were killed last week by a serial killer. The hope is that police and society as a whole more responsive, uh, you know, and see the, the victims as human beings, not some demonized subcategory of human. So good reason there to use the term sex worker. However, language can be so confusing. Sex worker also includes a number of subcategories not seen by everyone as being part of prostitution. So for academic and exposition reasons, Right? I'm going to use the words uh, prostitute and prostitution here today because that specifically implies being paid for sex. Uh, in 2004, Medline search and review of 681 prostitution articles found 25 different types of sex work. Webcam modeling, exotic dancing, pole dancing, phone sex operating, go-go dancing, burlesque, erotic massage, lap dancing, acting in porn, peep show performing. Uh, many other categories show up as being defined as some type of sex work. But is an exotic dancer, for example, always a sex worker? Or I'm sorry, is an exotic dancer always a sex worker? Yes. But are they a prostitute? No, right? With just the dancing, actual sex is not being sold. The fantasy of sex is the uh, the appearance of sex. But what if uh, during the lap dance, the dancer gyrates on a, on a clothed client in a way intended to bring them to orgasm, actually does bring them to orgasm? Well, then first, fucking kudos to you, sexy dancer, for having some serious hip skills. Uh, second, isn't that a form of prostitution? akin to the illegal massage parlor kind we talked about earlier. The blurry edges of prostitution, uh, so interesting to me. 
Again, that example just points out why, you know, I will say prostitute to be very specific. Now let's zoom in and look at uh, look at some interesting prostitution statistics. There are around 42 million active prostitutes in the world according to a 2016 report from the French anti-sexual trafficking organization uh, Shells or Scales, Foundation Scales. I'm probably saying it way off. Uh, is that number bigger than what you were expecting? It's bigger than what I was expecting for sure. 42 million people actively selling their bodies for sex. That's a lot of fucking. Uh, Three quarters of them are between the ages of 13 and 25. 80% of them are female. An estimated 1 million prostitutes live in the U.S. Even though it's legal only in parts of Nevada. Massage parlors not counted here. A million. That's like literally everyone living in New Orleans. And most of the people living in the surrounding metro area all working as prostitutes. It's fucking crazy. And I only picked NOLA. Because it's a recognizable city of less than a million people with a metro area of not much more than a million people. Not because I associate NOLA strongly with legions of prostitutes. Uh, <laughs> now I'm having trouble staying focused and trying not to think about a bunch of sexy southern women. Uh, in the U.S., according to a 1990 study titled Estimating the Prevalence and Career Longevity of Prostitute Women, the number of full-time prostitutes in the U.S. estimated at 23 per 100,000. That would equal out to only 3,295 full-time workers for the whole country. Uh, And again, not counting happy ending masseuses here. So way more part-time workers, like way more than full-time workers. Not a lot of people viewing prostitution, at least in the U.S., as a a career, which I think is a good thing. And not saying that because I have any moral issues with prostitution. I don't, but, uh, you know, if I was doing it, I would would be worried about my long-term plan. What happens when you're no longer as physically desirable for the typical customer due to age? How hard is it to transition to another line of work uh, for the back half of your working years when the front half is only sex work? Your resume is going to be pretty fucked up. And I say all that knowing that uh, many, if, you know, if not nearly all prostitutes uh, get into the uh, line of work, um, not because probably it's a, like the first choice, but because it's a, there's a lack of other options that pay as well. All right. The length of the average full-time prostitutes working career in the U.S. Uh, estimated as a mean of five years. So, uh, uh, okay, about five years. For and even though there isn't a lot of full-time workers and they're not working for that long, a lot of money being made, right? As I said earlier, when I talked about worldwide statistics uh, in the U.S., generates about $14 billion a year. So much. Uh, how much are the prostitutes actually being paid for all their sex work? Excuse me. The profitability of prostitution varies from city to city. A street prostitute in Dallas may make as uh, little as $5 per sex act. But pimps can make, uh, you know, $33,000 a week in Atlanta. A fucking week. A city where the uh, sex business brings in an estimated $290 million per year. Uh, not nearly as lucrative in Denver, where prostitution estimated to pull around $40 million a year. Well, in Dallas, it sounds like uh, some workers are, uh, you know, giving it away almost for free. So sad because that reads as uh, desperately needing drug money. $150 an hour seems to be the average national going rate for prostitution. Age, race, drug use of the sex worker, uh, and more factors obviously determine price. On average, pimps keep five employees at any given time. Turnover is high. Uh, Interesting, a large study of the sex industry found that pimps and sex workers often said they were encouraged by their families to go into their line of work, not discouraged. Why? Poverty, extreme poverty. About 30% of those interviewed said a family member was also involved in sex work. As other studies have shown, uh, the internet has uh, had a profound effect on the sex economy. Half of respondents advertised online. Uh, One in four pimps surveyed recruited employees through sites like Craigslist and before it was shut down by the FBI due to high usage by sex traffickers. Uh, Backpage, a site called yesbackpage.com now seems to uh, have taken over for Backpage, big sex work site. Not sure if it's legit. Not willing to take my research that far. 
But uh, there are all kinds of cities listed, and apparently a fair amount of sex workers are posting profile pics and phone numbers uh, right here in CDA. Uh, If this site is not legit, I'm sure that there are equivalent sites that are. Uh, Recent studies have found that while sex transactions were once always negotiated on the streets, you know, most now ranged online. And who are visiting all these sex workers? Uh, The number of men who have, uh, (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing because I wanted to just uh, throw in randomly just to get a reaction out of them when I asked, uh, and who are visiting all these sex workers? I wanted to say uh, mostly uh, Logan Keith and Joe Paisley. Uh, <laughs> hey, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, no, uh, the number of uh, men who have reported to have used a prostitute at least once varies widely from country to country, from an estimated low of between 7 and 8.8% in the UK to a high between 59% and 80% in Cambodia. Uh, a study conducted by Procon, nonpartisan nonprofit organization, estimated the percentage of men who had paid for sex at least once in their lives uh, is uh, what conducted all this research. And they found that, yeah, the highest rates in Cambodia, up to 80% of men, huge sex market opened up uh, in an impoverished war-torn Cambodia following the Khmer Rouge's years of destruction. A lot of poverty plus a lot of orphans and single moms equaled, sadly, a lot of prostitution. Thailand also, you know, a lot of prostitution, estimated 75% of men, their report having paid for sex at least once up to 45% of Italian men, uh, up to 39% of men in Spain, 37% of men in Japan, almost 22% of men in the Netherlands, and around 20% of U.S. men. Fucking crazy. One in five here in the U.S. That number shocked me. I personally have uh, never paid for sex, and if any of my friends have, none of them have admitted it. Makes me wonder if the real number is higher than one in five. Right? Uh, which probably doesn't make sense based on what he said, but I, I wonder, did they not tell me because they didn't do it or because there's just so much stigma around it all? Maybe some of my friends have and they were just too embarrassed or ashamed to tell me. Uh, crazy how much prostitution is going on, even though it's illegal in most of the world or mostly illegal. Some countries have uh, the weirdest laws and the strangest workarounds in regards to sex work. In Japan, for example, engaging in prostitution as a buyer or a seller is technically illegal, but because the legal definition of prostitution is extremely narrow and specific, Vaginal intercourse with a stranger. Uh, sex workers have devised so many loopholes, sometimes poop hole loopholes, and other ones, like soap lands. Soap lands is a place where guests are bathed by prostitutes, then serviced by them either orally, anally, uh, mammary wise, uh, read titty fucking, uh, via uh, and, and other forms of non vaginal intercourse, right? You just got to keep it out of the front butt, and it's all kosher. You, you, you can sell that, you know, be, the back butt, you can sell the real butt all day long, but you can't sell that front butt. And then there are massage parlors where, you know, a legal blowjob or handjob or anal sex sex is uh, also thrown in, you know, for your health. But no puss. Butts are for business. Front butts are for family or something like that. Uh, Canada has some weird sex laws too. Prostitution in Canada is legal with a huge asterisk. Uh, Under the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, it is legal to communicate with the intention of selling sex. However, it is illegal to communicate with the intention of buying sex. Right, so if you write me that you'd like to sell me some sex, that's totally cool. But then, then if I write back saying, "Yeah, I would like to buy what you're selling," then now I've broken a law, which feels a little bit like entrapment. Uh, illegal to purchase sex services, but not illegal to sell them. Also legal for sex workers to advertise their own services, but not others' services. Right to cut out pimps. Uh, and I think I get it. You know, these uh, laws, you know, punish pimps and johns, but not sex workers. Cuts down on exploitation. I like it actually. It's uh, sneaky. It's, it's clever, Canada. It's clever. Uh, in the U.S., prostitution is illegal with the exception of a few counties in Nevada. There are varying federal, state, and local laws that regulate prostitution activities. Uh, you know, when you really think about it, how, how fucking weird is it that any government in the world, 
is regulating what adults choose to do sexually and consensually with other consensual adults. I mean, it is so fucking weird. I mean, it's your dick. It's your ass. It's your pussy. Why is the government stepping in and telling us what we can do commerce-wise with our own genitals? As long as kids are kept out of the picture, like, how is this a governmental issue? I mean, if prostitutes are being coerced into sex work, then punish the people doing the coercing. That's a different crime. But if you just want to sell that ass, your ass, I mean, why can't you sell away? Especially considering it's totally legal for you to give that ass away all day, every day. Legal for you to allow another person of legal age to do whatever the fuck they want that you feel comfortable with in regards to your ass, your pussy, your mouth, etc. They just can't pay for it. That's so wild when you really think about it, right? You can let anyone knock your ass out of the park. You can let them fucking hammer away on that sweet puss until you're so sore you can't walk for a few days. But only if you let them do the hammering for free. Think of what some random business equivalent would look like to illustrate how stupid this is, right? Like you can legally have a taco stand. You can make any kind of taco you want. You, you, you can give those tacos to anybody you want to. They can fucking munch on your sweet tacos, however much they want to, but you just can't let them pay for it, right? That's where the law gets broken with the, with the, the money transaction. But you can legally barter for sex basically everywhere in the world. I mean, how many nice dinners have led to sex? How many times has taken someone on a high, uh, out to a high-end restaurant paying for a really expensive meal and drinks, whining and dining, and that leads to sex? Not saying it's explicit. Not saying there was a conversation beforehand of a, I'm gonna fucking pay for a $300 you know, night of dining and drinks only if we close the evening with a fuck fest. I know that that is cringy and, you know, uh, date raping and all the things. But how many nights would not have ended with sex if uh, the whining and dining had not occurred beforehand? Is that really so different from prostitution? Isn't prostitution just, uh, you know, just taking the meal out of that scenario? Also, totally legal for you to get paid to, uh, to fuck a stranger on camera and sell pics and videos, right? But if you, but if you got paid... Uh, to fuck that stranger and the camera was not rolling, now it's illegal. That's super weird, right? Uh, now it's prostitution and not porn. So you can do prostitution, but only if you're filming it and then selling the film. We're a fucking strange, totally irrational species. Uh, back to stats now. Prostitution laws in the state of Nevada uh, gave each county the liberty to decide on the legality of prostitution within the sovereign boundaries of their county. And currently in the state of Nevada, there are 10 out of 17 counties that have legalized prostitution. All with uh, you know strict regulations, uh, the governments of these counties charge uh, large fees to brothel owners. Also stipulate that prostitutes in the legal brothels must be tested for sexually transmitted infection frequently, unprotected sex, illegal in these brothels as well. Uh, now let's zoom out from the U.S. Look at the world. Uh, you know, I said that there's uh, roughly 42 million prostitutes in the world. Where are they? Per capita, Venezuela has the most prostitutes with 19 per 100,000, or I'm sorry, 19 per 10,000. Uh, prostitution in Venezuela, legal and highly regulated to the extent that prostitutes mandated to have ID cards and state their profession. South Korea comes, uh, you know, in, in second, second most prostitutes, uh, you know, per uh, amount, you know, per capita with 110 prostitutes per 10,000 people. And that there's, oh, wait, it was 100. I'm sorry, I messed up. 190, there we go. <laughs> 190, not uh, 19, 19. I was like, what is going on? How does that? Uh, Peru's third, 102 prostitutes uh, per 10,000 people, followed by the Philippines, Nigeria, China, Brazil, Malaysia, Germany, and Thailand. Interestingly, Thailand, 10th on the list in terms of prostitutes per capita, despite probably being the most famous uh, for being a sex tourism destination. Estimates suggest there are between 250,000 and 2 million sex workers of various forms in Thailand. 
popular part of sex t- uh, tourism in Thailand are sex shows, like ping pong shows, where women on stage will use their pelvic muscles to blow objects, traditionally ping pong balls, out of their vaginas. Not sure how that is possible, but it is done. You can look up videos online if you're very curious. It is quite the talent. Ping pong balls are shot into the crowd. Uh, sometimes goldfish are shot into fish bowls. Uh, bananas are sliced all in a vagina, thanks to some wild-ass pelvic and vaginal muscles. And I thought swinging my dick around like a fucking helicopter blade was pretty cool. I have nothing on these women. Vagina one, penis zero when it comes to cool party tricks. Uh, these shows, which date back to the 1970s, at least uh, technically illegal, but Thai law officials turn a blind eye for the most part towards pretty much uh, all sex work because it brings in a lot of tourist dollars. And while some of these sex workers are for sure being exploited in Thailand, some also seem to love it. They love that, uh, you know, that sex work has given them the opportunity to climb out of poverty. They enjoy sex to avoid a, they enjoy having a life of, uh, you know, not having their body broken down through long, grueling hours working in a factory or uh, on a rice farm for very little pay. Here's a personal pro-prostitution story to show the side of this argument uh, from a male prostitute in Thailand going by the name of Moss. Moss 26 was a money boy, sex worker at a gay bar in the Thai tourist hub of Pattaya until COVID hit. Pattaya is a city of just over a million people, about a 90-minute drive southeast of Bangkok, known for a, a wild sex worker nightlife scene. And for uh, Moss, uh, you know, uh, for most, a job in that scene was a, or for most, excuse me, a job in that scene, a dream come true. Most grew up in a poor province on Thailand's northeastern border, eating fish from the river and leaves foraged from the forest. He would dream often of someday being able to eat pork and pizza. Think about that. Eating pizza was a dream of his growing up. A food even the poorest Americans generally eat uh, and can eat frequently. And he was like, someday, someday I'll be rich enough to grab a slice of Little Caesar's cheese pizza. That's fucking crazy. When he graduated from high school, Mos uh, moved to Pattaya and became a prostitute. He says the job was fun. The pay was great. Saved up enough money to build a cement house for his family in the countryside, which is a big deal. Promised his younger siblings he'd send them to college. Worked in the bars of Pattaya's red light district. Uh, pays more than many office jobs or other service work uh, that went women that the women and men in Thailand's sex industry would otherwise qualify for. Sex work has uh, you know, allowed them to save money, buy themselves luxuries, support their parents and grandparents in retirement. For most, uh, pre-pandemic, men would come into the bar, buy uh, you know, workers like himself drinks for which uh, you know, either earn 50 baht, aka about a dollar fifty in US commissions. And that uh, but that, you know, dollar fifty goes a lot farther in Thailand than it does here. And then a patron might hire him for the evening. On a good night, he could make as much as three to six thousand baht, hundred to two hundred US bucks. The pandemic, they'll put an end to Moss's job when in March and April of 2020, Thailand closed its borders, canceled commercial flights. The country's tourism industry entwined, intertwined with the sex worker industry collapses. Uh, in April of 2020, with rent and Pattaya adding up while he earned no money, Moss piled into a car with a few friends, went back to his hometown where he now helps his parents sell papaya salad at a street side stall and not making a lot of money doing this. By October, his savings had completely run out and he was longing to go back to his job in Pattaya. He and many other Thai sex workers supposedly longing for the return of who they call two-week millionaires, foreign sex tourists. For now, they're left with uh, who they call cheap Charlies, low-income expats who sit at the bar nursing something like a fucking Coke Zero, leering at them from the shadows, uh, declining to buy them drinks or ever hire them. Here's one more Thai pro-prostitution story. And we'll have horror stories coming up as well. Uh, not from Thailand, but, you know, sex work in general. Uh, a woman referred to as M, 37, interviewed by an NPR reporter in early 20, uh, 2021, says she once worked in an office, but the pay was terrible. She hated the work. 
Started going, uh, working as a topless dancer in one of Pattaya's go-go bars, making a lot more money and a lot less hours. And then that transitioned into taking on sex work. And soon she made enough money to buy uh, some farmland for her and for her family. Before the pandemic, she was saving money to buy a lot more farmland, dreamed of uh, owning a large rubber tree plantation. Now because of COVID shutdowns, you know, has almost no money. At the time of her interview, she was worried that if the borders didn't reopen soon, uh, she'd have to move back to her rural province, help her mom tend to their small plot of rubber trees that barely put food on the table. So because some people like working as prostitutes and are able to make more money doing that than anything else, does that make sex tourism a good thing? Yes, for some, no for others. Let's look further into it. Uh, The World Tourism Organization defines sexual tourism as trips organized from within the tourism sector or from outside the sector, but using its structures and networks with a primary purpose of affecting a commercial sexual relationship by the tourists with residents at the destination. That's a very nice way of, uh, with the purpose of fucking so much puss and butt. Uh, And places where sex tourism is rampant, like much of Southeast Asia, generate money not only for the sex workers themselves, but for networks of pimps, taxi drivers, hotel staff, brothel owners, uh, tour operators, you know, tavern owners, waitresses, et cetera, et cetera. Why would someone want to travel these places to hire a sex worker? Mostly because a lot of studies have shown that women in Southeast Asia have the world's best pussies. Mm-hmm. They're the tightest, wettest, consistently win taste and sniff awards year after year. Sorry, all other women, but facts are facts. Numerous top shelf celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio, Oprah Winfrey, and Pat Sajak have publicly commented on how great Southeast Asian pussies truly are. Oprah said, and I quote, I eat a lot of puss, like a lot. Stedman is always teasing me about it. He'll say, Oprah, if you eat any more puss, you're going to turn into a puss. And I have to say, Southeast Asian puss is the very best. 10 out of 10, we'll eat again. And Pat Sajak said, and I also quote, if you want to spin the wheel and win a new car, you come to Culver City, California, where we film and play my game. If you want to get your dick wet, you head to Bangkok. Watch them play that ping pong game and then unleash that trouser beast and let the ladies feast. Sorry, no, that was a little crude. <laughs> That's fucking say Jack for you. Horniest horn dog in the biz. Uh, you know I'm kidding, right? I'm sure you do, but for legal reasons, I do have to make it clear that I was kidding there. Uh, for real though, why is Southeast Asia? And why, for real though, why is it so funny for me to picture Pat Sajak just fucking doing debaucherous sexual things? Uh, also, why is Southeast Asia such a popular tourist, uh, sex tourist destination? Several reasons. Lowered costs, more lenient attitudes towards prostitution in the destination country than in the customer's home country, legality, uh, sometimes, unfortunately, access to specific types of prostitution, illegal everywhere, uh, but more accessible in the destination country like child prostitution and access to women and men working uh, while being trafficked as sex slaves. If prostitution were legal everywhere, would that lead to better regulation in the sex work industry and theoretically uh, protect more children and keep people from being sex trafficked? I think so. All depends on how it's enforced and regulated. But maybe not. So far, studies do not back up my thoughts here. So I have to entertain the possibility that I'm flat out wrong. Currently, countries with legalized prostitution are associated with higher human trafficking inflows than countries where prostitution is prohibited. Criminalization of prostitution in Sweden resulted in the shrinking of the prostitution market and the decline of human trafficking inflows. Cross-country comparisons uh, in Sweden and Denmark where prostitution is decriminalized in Germany, uh, where there's expanded legalization of prostitution, consistently show that trafficking inflows decrease with criminalization and increase with legalization. The type of legalization of prostitution does not seem to matter. It only matters where whether prostitution is legal or not, whether third-party involvement, such as pimps, 
or allowed or not does not have an effect on human trafficking inflows into a country based on some of the studies. So interesting. Could new laws punishing brothels, pimps, pimp equivalents harshly for, uh, you know, more harshly for trafficking minors or anyone else not willingly participating help curb this? Not sure. Uh, outside of legal versus illegal, the reason Southeast Asia seems to be a popular sexual tourist destination seems to have uh, a lot to do with cultural norms as well, right? Norms influenced by religion. In some countries in Asia, completely normal for frequent uh, or too frequent brothels or nightclubs with the intention of purchasing sex. Men who don't do this are actually considered unusual. Uh, in the U.S. and in many European countries, many South American countries, more nations around the world, the dominance of Abrahamic, primarily uh, a Christian viewpoint on prostitution has made it uh, sinful, dirty, and immoral. But in parts of Southeast Asia, where the dominant religions are much more sex positive, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, like in Thailand, sex tourists can shop comparatively shame-free. The biggest concern with legalizing prostitution is, of course, uh, the creation of more victims of child prostitution. Let's refocus on this dark area of sex work now. Uh, the sex tourism industry thought to involve as many as 2 million children worldwide. That's obviously a fucking completely tragic number. So heinous. Children coerced into sex work by family members uh, out of necessity uh, because tourists are willing to pay good money in a country that is overwhelmingly poor leads to most of it. Now, if it's fuck or starve, most people are going to choose fuck. Uh, according to the U.S. Department of State, each year over a million children are exploited in the global commercial sex trade. Child sex tourism involves people who travel from their own country to another and engage in commercial sex acts with children. CST is a shameful assault on the dignity of children and a form of violent child abuse. The commercial sexual exploitation of children has devastating consequences for these minors, which may include long-lasting physical and psychological trauma, disease, uh, including HIV slash AIDS, drug addiction, unwanted pregnancy, malnutrition, social ostracism, and possibly death. Tourists engaged in CST often travel to developing countries looking for anonymity and the, <clears throat> excuse me, and the availability of children in prostitution. The crime is typically fueled by weak law enforcement, corruption, the internet, ease of travel, and poverty. These sexual offenders come from all socioeconomic backgrounds and may hold positions of trust. Previous cases of child sex tourism involving U.S. citizens who've been arrested have uh, included a pediatrician, retired army sergeant, a dentist, and a university professor. Child pornography uh, frequently involved in these cases as well. Drugs may also be used to solicit or control the minors. Thailand, Cambodia, Brazil, Colombia, and Mexico have been identified as countries where child sexual exploitation is prevalent. Out of the estimated 2 million child prostitutes worldwide, an estimated 30,000 of those kids are in the U.S. In addition to economic or family pressure, a lot of kids get into prostitution thanks to drug addiction. In a study of 300 street children in Nicaragua by the government's family ministry, more than 80% said they started working as prostitutes uh, you know, to buy drugs. Sometimes people get into child prostitution thanks to good old-fashioned emotional manipulation, too. Here's an example of that. Uh, an anti-prostitution-is-good you know, uh, story. A story of a child sex trafficking victim you know, here in the U.S., Tanya. Uh, when Tanya, a pseudonym, was just 13, she met Eddie, also a pseudonym, outside the apartment building she was living in with her uh, mom in Dallas, Texas, in that area. His estranged wife was the property manager. Tanya was classmates with Eddie's stepdaughter, the two uh, often would see each other around the apartment building, at the local grocery store, elsewhere around the neighborhood. At that grocery store one day, these two first exchange numbers. They start talking, hanging out. Soon, they start having sex. And then when Tanya's 15, uh, this, uh, you know, fucking manipulative pedophile she's hanging out with becomes Tanya's pimp. Tanya runs away from home at the age of 15, moves in with Eddie. Seemed, quote unquote, normal at first. Normal for a, a dude his age never mentioned, but, you know, he has a 15-year-old. When Tanya's 15, so he's got to be in his 30s at least. Uh, Tanya would cook, clean, Look after Eddie's kids from time to time. What the fuck? 
Then one night when these two were at a party, Eddie told Tanya he wanted her to have sex with another guy at the party for money. Tanya was uncomfortable, but Eddie said, if you love me, you'll do this. It's just this one thing. Just try it. After around a half hour of constant pressure from Eddie, Tanya agreed to have sex with this guy. And what she thought would be a one-time thing became an everyday routine for the next few weeks. Night after night, now bar after bar, Tanya's going out with Eddie while he's advertising her to potential suitors. Tanya still uh, you know, thinks she loves Eddie and that he loves her. She feels like she, he, she can deal with the physical toll the trafficking has taken on her body, but soon she can't deal with the hardest part of it, the emotional and psychological effects. Help eventually comes for Tanya in the form of U.S. Immigration and Custom Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent, long-ass title, Keith Owens. The Grand Prairie, a Texas Police Department, had received a tip about Eddie's crimes, passed the case on to HSI Dallas. Owens and his team took over, moved in, arrested, slimy fuck Eddie. Eddie pled guilty, sentenced to 12 years in prison. Not enough. Uh, May 29th, 2015. And during this piece of shit sentencing hearing, uh, Tanya had to testify, having to hear and see the man who trafficked her was difficult, especially not knowing what the outcome would be, whether or not he'd be convicted. Uh, With him behind bars now, Tanya feels like her life has gotten better again. She doesn't think or talk about what she's been through, though, doesn't uh, want people to know what was once a part of her life. Her focus is on moving forward, things like getting her GED, going to community college. Eventually, Tanya knows she'll have to talk about her experiences. If she has kids someday, she wants to be able to tell them what her mom or what their mom went through. She wants them to know what to look out for, how to avoid going through the same awful shit she did. So obviously, Tanya's experience, very different than the experience of the two sex workers in Thailand I mentioned who psychologically seemed to be okay with everything. Uh, child prostitution, you know, the most concerning aspect of sex work. But even if you're morally okay with prostitution and psychologically fine with it, uh, you know, uh, there's no kids involved, even in a world, you know, like, like that. What about venereal disease? How does that play into the good or bad of prostitution when you're weighing it out? Condoms, if uh, always worn and worn properly, are 98% effective at protecting against most sexually transmitted infections like HIV, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. But condoms do not protect you from all STIs such as herpes, genital warts, uh, trichia, oh my gosh, this one, I had not heard of it, trichomoniasis. Holy shit. Someone fucking come up with a better word for that. It's also called trick uh, and syphilis. Yeah, had not heard of trichomoniacus, aka trick before. It can be spread by genital to genital contact. Even when condoms are properly worn, it affects about 50,000 people a year in the US, about 3 million people a year worldwide. Uh, Initial symptoms, very mild, uh, recurring light headache, drowsiness, dry, itchy skin, light muscle soreness, maybe some mild anxiety. If not treated with antibiotics in the first 90-ish days, it becomes virtually impossible to cure. So it gets scary after the first three months. Uh, after this after this point, you can only try and manage it. And 25% of chronic cases, uh, impotence in men, infertility and permanent vaginal dryness occur. And in 5% of chronic cases, the end result is the horrific genital necrosis where the genital tissue will literally rot away. It's a fucking sneaky, terrible one. At least half the people who have it uh, will, be, will just be car- carriers, never show any symptoms. No matter how clean uh, the ween is or lady ween is, you know, it could be fucking loaded with trichomoniasis viruses. And you can catch it through oral sex, uh, suck the wrong ween, lick the wrong lady ween. Now you've got a 1 in 20 chance that your shit is going to rot off if you don't get it treated in time, which is tricky because a lot of times you won't even know you fucking have it. (sighs) So one more thing about uh, trichomoniasis, uh, it really is an STI. But I did make up all the stuff about how it affects the body. It's not nearly as severe as I, I, that was all made up. I just, I I just wanted some of you again to be nervous. I just thought it's been a long time since I did that old joke about getting fucking general warts from hand jobs. 
And I feel like maybe you were ready to be tricked again. Most people don't <laughs> don't show any symptoms. That part's real. Uh, and if you do get it, it's very mild, very mild symptoms, you know, some pain, you know, discharge and stuff. Uh, and then you can knock it out with basic antibiotics. It's not going to rot your dick or your puss off. Uh, most SDIs can be treated with antibiotics, uh, but not all. Herpes, HPV, hepatitis B, HIV, that's just for life. Herpes won't kill you, but HPV can lead to anal cancer. Uh, HIV can turn into AIDS, kill you. Hepatitis B responsible for 80% of the world's liver cancer. So even when there's no violence, no psychological trauma, no kids being exploited, no moral judgment, there is still dangers in prostitution. Unwanted pregnancy, another one. But are those reasons to make it illegal? Having sex you don't pay for or, you know, or charge for, well, it just carries the exact same risks as, uh, you know, sex that you do pay for. Uh, so after peeking around all this, should prostitution be legal or not? As my favorite comic, George Carlin, once said, I don't understand why prostitution is legal. Selling is legal. Fucking is legal. Why isn't selling fucking illegal? You know, why should it be illegal to sell something that's perfectly legal to give away? When I came up with my above commentary that echoes this, uh, I had not seen that quote. Researcher Sophie Evans found it. And not going to lie, made me real fucking happy. So now that he thought the, virtually the same way I do. Uh, Jeannie Losicero, Deputy Legal Director of the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU of New Jersey, also shares this view. She laid out a very well-written opinion expressing this in a July 6, 2016 article for NewJersey.com, NJ.com, uh, titled ACLU, It's Time to Decriminalize Prostitution. As civil libertarians, we believe the government should not throw consenting adults in jail for private sexual conduct. An adult who chooses to engage in sexual activity, whether for recreation, procreation, or in exchange for something of value, makes a private individual choice that should not be subject, uh, subject to criminal sanctions. Our rights to include individual autonomy and privacy allow us all to make these decisions as adults. Legalizing prostitution would mean regulated, and I think through regulation it could curb the spread of disease and if regulated correctly, hopefully reduce child prostitution, even though initial studies have not supported that belief. Also, it could be taxed, and that combined with law enforcement no longer dedicated to uh, arresting sex workers and clients and less nonviolent offenders in prison would lead to less government and less government spending, which I am always a big fan of, and these are, are my opinions now. Uh, will legalizing magically make life so much better for sex workers? No, studies do not back that up. Interviews with prostituted uh, individuals in New Zealand, for example, a country with some of the most liberal prostitution laws in the world, revealed that a majority of prostituted people in the country did not feel as if decriminalization had curbed the violence they experienced. But a lot of other academics argue that in time, legalization will reduce criminality, like in Amsterdam. And common sense dictates that if sex workers are not branded as criminals, you'll have better access to the legal system, be more inclined to report behavior, that is dangerous, uh, you know, dangerous to themselves and other women and men in their industry. Also, common sense dictates that legal or not, it's going to keep happening. And there are going to be problems with prostitution, whether you legalize it or not, just like uh, with drugs. People who really want them are going to find them, you know, same way for paid sex. An estimated million prostitutes, uh, you know, already worked in the U.S. and uh, only a few thousand working uh, legally in, uh, you know, those Nevada brothels. And those numbers, uh, you know, don't count, you know, paid sex being snuck into massage packages. So, you know, it's, it's happening a lot despite being illegal. It's going to keep happening. What is the point of continuing to criminalize it? I don't know. If I was in charge, I would just legalize it, but I'm not. So enough of me pontificating for now. Let's get back into some facts. Let's learn some shit. Let's explore the long history of prostitution in today's Time Suck timeline. Right after a few words from today's sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. 
A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs caused me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. 
And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the 2 grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the 1 gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. 5 grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Thank you again for listening. And whenever uh, you you use discounts, I mentioned, uh, it helps us continue to be sponsored. Much appreciated there. Now for the history of prostitution in this timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. The Sumerian word for female prostitute, karkid, occurs in the earliest list of professions dating back to 2400 BCE. Uh, it translates directly to cockwaiter. It does not translate to that. Uh, these records are uh, also describe a temple brothel, temple brothel, excuse me, operated by Sumerian priests in the city of Uruk. This uh, kakum or temple was dedicated to the goddess Ishtar, was the home to three grades of women providing sexual services. Uh, the first grade of women uh, permitted to only perform sexual rituals in the temple. Second group had access to the grounds catered to visitors. Third and lowest class lived on the temple grounds uh, and also free to find customers in the streets, you know, outside of the temple grounds. Uh, Ishtar was the goddess of war, rain, thunderstorms, fertility, and fucking. Not kidding. She was the goddess of sexual love. Hail, Lucifina. Uh, pretty sure Ishtar and Lucifina are different names for the same god. Ishtar was thought to be a very popular god in Mesopotamia. Uh, fuck yeah, she was. A god who loves fucking? Sounds way cooler than a lot of the gods we have floating around right now. Uh, we got a lot of angry, puss, and dick-hating gods right in our midst today. It's a real bummer. One of my main complaints about today's gods, not pro-fucking enough. Uh, I bet those old temple sex rituals back in Mesopotamia were hot. Uh, according to Herodotus, the famed Greek historian, the rites performed at these temples included sexual intercourse or uh, what scholars later called sacred sexual rites. Mm-hmm. He wrote, the foulest Babylonian custom is that which compels every woman of the land to sit in the temple of Aphrodite and have intercourse with some stranger at least once in her life. Many women who are rich and proud and disdain to mingle with the rest drive to the temple in covered carriages drawn by teams and stand there with a great retinue of attendants. Uh, most sit down in the sacred plot of Aphrodite with crowns of cord on their heads. There is a great multitude of women coming and going. Passages marked by line run every way through the crowd by which the men pass and make their choice. Once a woman has taken her place there, she does not go away to her home before some stranger has cast money into her lap and had intercourse with her outside the temple. But while he casts the money, he must say, I invite you in the name of Melita. Melita here is thought to uh, probably mean Ishtar. The uh, 5th century BCE Greek chronicler continues, it does not matter what sum the money is. The woman will never refuse, for that would be a sin, the money being uh, by this act made sacred. So she follows the first man who casts it and rejects no one. After their intercourse, having discharged her sacred duty to the goddess, she goes away to her home, and thereafter there is no bribe, however great, that will get her. So then the women that are fair and tall are soon free to depart. But the uncomely have long to wait, because they cannot fulfill the law. For some of them remain for three years or four. There was a custom like this in some parts of Cyprus. God, the last part's fucking super sad. Poor uncomely ladies, i.e. Uh, ugly, uh, sit in that temple for three or four years, waiting for a real slow day 
when some guy gets desperate enough to fuck him. <laughs> that's fucking... I know that's really uh, not funny, but also fucking funny. It's just so sad to me. Just just somebody like, just put some poor ladies in this temple. You know, some hot lady walks in and like fucking three minutes later, a guy's like, oh, oh whoa, whoa, whoa. Like they're running. They're running over her. Please. No, 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 no. I got her. I got her. I got her. Throwing money at her from a distance. Right? She it's fucking she doesn't want to do this, but at least she gets it over with quickly. Meanwhile, fucking Bertha's been sitting there for three and a half goddamn years. Just, I mean, she's pantomiming, like t- telling people like, oh no, I'll suck your dick. I'll, I'll do so good. I'll fucking anything. anything. Anything you want. Please just get me out of here. I'm so tired of being in the temple. Mm, hard pass. Hard pass. Interesting ritual. Every woman has to fuck one random guy in her life. Uh, seems like a much better system for the picker than the person being picked. Uh, now fast forwarding to 1780 BCE. Six of Hammurabi's 282 codes specifically mention the rights of a prostitute or the child of a prostitute. Uh, the Code of Hammurabi uh, compiled at the start of the reign of the Babylonian king of the same name uh, from 1792. Excuse me, my gosh. 1792 to 1750 BCE. Uh, the oldest, longest, best organized, best preserved legal text from the ancient world. And it mentions prostitution six times. Uh, another historical mention from the Middle East comes in 1075 BCE. Assyrian law distinguished, it, uh, distinguished prostitutes from other women by dress in the Code of Ashura. Another old set of laws, just barely predates laws found in the Old Testament of the Bible. If the wives of a man or the daughters of a man go out into the street, their heads are to be veiled, it says. The prostitute is not to be veiled. Maidservants are not to veil themselves. Veiled harlots and maidservants shall have their garments seized and 50 blows inflicted on them. And bitumen, it's like an asphalt or tar-like substance, poured onto their heads. Goddamn. Women are free to be prostitutes, but, you know, once you're a prostitute, you gotta let everyone around you know all the time or you are fucking savagely beaten. A lot of laws like this speculated to have uh, been written and enacted so guys could know if their ladies' kids were their kids or not. Didn't have paternity tests back then. Closest thing was harsh punishment to to women who were sleeping around. Uh, Now jumping ahead to uh, 600 BCE, heading uh, way over to the east when we uh, see the first legal brothels in China. Commercial brothels. It had uh, begun in the 7th century BCE by the statesman, philosopher, Quang Chung, as a means for increasing the state's income. Uh, though there is some doubt as to whether Quang Chung actually established the principle of licensing prostitutes, so uh, may have already been in practice before this time. He also might have been the first ruler to set up special areas around town, the first so-called red light district where prostitution could be legally practiced. Uh, the actual term red light, though, that did not come around until the 17th century, thought to have come from Amsterdam a town with what might be the world's oldest literal red light district. Uh, women working as prostitutes deprived from proper hygiene and running fresh water there started carrying uh, red lanterns around because the red light would camouflage boils, zits, scars, cold sores, etc. on their skin. You know, being concerned about harsh lighting, nothing new for humans. Uh, red is a color proven to be instinctively associated with sexual urges and feelings as well. We're hardwired to be a bit more inclined towards sexy time if we see the right color. So red was a great choice. To make it clear, uh, you know, for, to, for customers that women with red lights were available as women of pleasure. And sailors coming into Amsterdam, having uh, been out at sea for quite some time, they could easily spot then who would be available thanks to these red lights, not go knocking on the wrong doors. And soon the Red Lanterns evolved into red lights at brothels, and then it became a district close to the main harbor known as the Red Light District. Still known as that today. Um, back to ancient times now. Greece would soon hop on the red light train around the same time as China. Uh, 594 BCE, the celebrated Athenian lawmaker and lyric poet uh, Solon founded state brothels and taxed prostitutes on their earnings. These brothels were staffed with inexpensive prostitutes that all men could afford to hire regardless of income level. 
cost of sex was the equivalent of an ordinary worker's day's salary. Uh, No laws against prostitution at all. Just a normal part of society in Greece this time. Prostitution in ancient Greece, common and popular. And that included male prostitution. Male prostitutes are referenced in texts going back to the 11th century BCE, actually. But it seems uh, female prostitutes were much more common and written about uh, much more frequently. In the 400s uh, BCE, hetera, hetaira, there we go. Hetaira, most uh, directly translated as female companion in today's English, was a term normally used for high-class prostitutes in uh, ancient Greece. Uh, They had classes of sex workers, just like the Sumerians did before them. The hetaira, generally more educated than regular female citizens. They were trained, usually by older hetaira, to be entertaining, interesting, uh, rather than to be uh, economizing housewives. And then there were the pornai, slave prostitutes, who were not sought out for conversation, but only for physical pleasure. Uh, Some hetaira functioned as long-term mistresses, even common-law wives. Some became powerful. Aphasia was a hetaira, and the mistress of Pericles, a principal ruler of Athens in the mid-5th century BCE, and Aphasia's influence on the Athenian leader, reputedly enormous. At various times, his policies and speeches are attributed as being written by her. Uh, Bouncing over to Rome now, in the year 180 BCE, Emperor Caligula, one of history's nicest, most well-liked guys, starts taxing prostitution. He also uh, now had to notify the government before you bought a brothel so that officials could ensure that no upper-class Roman women became prostitutes. When an applicant registered, she gave her correct name, her age, place of birth, the pseudonym she'd given to her clients. If the girl was young and apparently respectable, the official tried to get her to change her mind. If that didn't work out, he issued her a license, determined what her prices would be, entered her name into his role. Once her name was marked down, it could never be removed. This was so people would always know that a woman had, uh, you know, once been less respectable. If you didn't register yourself and tried turning tricks off the record, you were severely punished if you got caught by scourging, fines, even exile. In some cases, a lot of women, the number of clandestine prostitutes in Rome, uh, probably equal to that of the registered sex workers. So a lot of women doing this off the record. And then there were uh, male prostitutes in ancient Rome, but not regulated the same way. Ancient graffiti has been uncovered, referencing them, but they don't show up uh, much in official writings. seems like a lot of their work was done off the record. On the down low, ancient Rome did uh, did not ban sodomy, but it was looked down upon and not as openly accepted as uh, it had been in ancient Greece. While the Roman system of prostitution was similar to the Greek system at the outset, by the time Rome developed into an international power, sex workers became mostly slaves who were either captured or even bred for that purpose. Sometimes uh, bred in large-scale prostitute farms that, uh, you know, took in children to train them. I mean, that's, God, that's pretty fucked up. What a childhood to grow up on a fuck farm. I want to be a senator when I grow up. Shut up, Claudius. The closest you'll get to the Senate is to have a senator's dick in either your mouth or your ass. Or if you're especially lucky, both at the same time. The best you can aspire to be is to be the fuck meat in an old man's Senate sandwich. Now go back to studying lotion scents and handjob techniques. Uh, abandoned children, very often raised as prostitutes in Rome. And enslavement into prostitution was sometimes used as a legal punishment against criminal free women. Sex trafficking, real big in ancient Rome. I'm guessing that surprises almost no one. The Roman Empire became uh, pretty synonymous with debauchery before it fell. Now fast forwarding to 30 CE, the time of Christ. Did you know that Jesus hung out with prostitutes? Yeah. So it's right in the Bible, Matthew, right? Nine, uh, you know, chapter nine, uh, verses 10 and 11. Uh, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then there's Luke chapter 15, verses one and two. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And if you're like, wait, neither of those verses 
right? Said prostitutes. Okay, well, you're right. Prostitutes at that time were called sinners in polite company, uh, just as they were called uh, fallen women by the Victorians later. And Jesus not only loved uh, these sinners, uh, he shared their company. And he, uh, you know, he never, never slept with them. Not even one time. Not even put the tip in just to see how it felt. Okay, sure. Uh, jumping ahead a few more centuries now in 438 CE, the Codex Theodosi, Theodosianus, new rules for the Byzantine Empire issued by Emperor Theodosius, a compilation of laws of the Roman Empire issued under Christian emperors since 312, forbade mothers and fathers from forcing their daughters or slaves into prostitution. Okay, this, this is good. This is progressive. Well done, Christian emperor. Let's rein that uh, Roman debauchery back in a bit. Christianity steering the ship in a, in a better direction. For sure here. Uh, the code also took steps to abolish the prostitution tax, uh, giving the state less of a financial interest in the trade of prostitution. Jumping ahead a century in 534 CE, uh, Byzantine Emperor Justinian the Great compiled the existing imperial laws into the Corpus Juris Civilis with 38 entries on prostitution. Many of these laws were positive reforms. Justinian may have wanted to enact these reforms because he'd fallen in love with a former prostitute. Justinian had married Empress Theodora, an alleged former prostitute in 525 CE. And as a couple, these two created laws that banished brothel keepers from the capital, granted freedom to slaves, forced into prostitution, banned sex in public bathhouses, etc. Rome had adopted, uh, had adopted Christianity as the state religion in the 4th century with Constantine the Great and its influence for the good at the moment now really being felt in the Roman Empire in regards to sex work. Going forward, Christianity's influence on Roman sexuality and on sexuality in Europe and then the Western world as a whole, uh, you know, become not such a positive influence. Historical tides really start to turn against sex work with the rise of Christianity in the Dark Ages and with the stranglehold the Catholic Church in particular was placing on Europe. Pre-Christianity, the Western world overall, pretty cool with prostitution, not, not much taboo associated with it, right? Just part of life. Sometimes it was, you know, really not good. Forced prostitution, including forced child prostitution occurred in the Roman Empire, in ancient Greece, and in all likelihood, many, many other ancient cultures. But sometimes, you know, this view was very healthy. Sex outside of marriage was not seen as sinful. Prostitution, not sinful in many cultures before the rise of Christianity. Uh, people didn't carry around so much sexual guilt and shame. Wasn't so much stigma with it. Where does this sexual judgment really all come from? From God or from, you know, old Judeo-Christian traditions? Uh, the roots of the Judeo-Christian sexual pro prohibitions, as well as the sexual prohibitions of religions such as, you know, Islam, spring from ancient Jewish tribal law. During early times, wives were considered property and laws were specifically codified to protect three things, livestock, wives, and dwellings. In order or importance, that seems very clear in Jewish law. Suddenly, chastity became a very important virtue uh, to very earthly men. And to discourage women from being unchaste, God was now very angry about it. With the rise of Judeo-Christian values through Christianity in the Roman and Byzantine empires and the rise of Islam in the Ottoman Empire, sex was dirty, so dirty. It was the dirtiest it had ever been. Our bodies, thoughts of lust for the bodies of others outside of sexual thoughts within a marriage of a man and a woman were suddenly immoral instead of, you know, fucking natural. Uh, these same repressive thoughts uh, did not occur in the East. Ancient Chinese thought regarded sexual intercourse as a means to enrich the spirit. In ancient China, to illustrate how progressive they were at the same time in human history, uh, common practice to indulge in same-sex sexual activities. This went on in ancient times uh, and during the past thousand years with the Ming, Song, and Qing dynasties, Last all the way to the early 20th century, various emperors had many sexual partners of all genders. Prostitution, common in China, other various Eastern cultures, and for the most part, not looked down upon. Brothels in ancient China were totally legal, officially registered tax-paying businesses. In 14th century China, for just one example, both prostitutes and clients were well-respected members of society, and there was no social stigma about it. 
Both male and female prostitutes could conduct their business freely. The history of Europe, very different. Let's return there. A, dec- a decree by Rickeret I, or uh, Rickeret, uh, Catholic king of the Vis- Visigoths of Spain, who ruled from 586 to 601 CE, absolutely prohibited prostitution. Girls and women born of free parents, convicted of either practicing prostitution or indul- inducing debauchery, right? Don't get any dicks riled up, ladies. Were condemned for the first offense to be flogged for 300 strokes. After that, banishment. Not very sex positive. Pretty misogynistic there. Inducing debauchery. Sounds like a convenient way to victim blame. Oh, he raped you? Of course he did. How could he not? You can almost see your knees in that dress. Your sexy knees. You were inducing debauchery. You know you were. Get ready for your 300 lashings. Uh, Jumping ahead several centuries now to 1158 CE. Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa starts punishing prostitutes traveling with the army. Harshly. When caught in the act, offending prostitutes are ordered to have their fucking noses cut off in an attempt to make uh, you know them less attractive, less likely to uh, induce debauchery amongst future soldiers. A soldier caught in the act sometimes had a finger cut off, or sometimes they'd have an eye removed. Sometimes. Fucked up on both sides, but way more fucked up on the side of the women's punishment here. How dare you flirt with a guy and convince him to pay you for some sexual release? Off with your nose! Real anti-sex, Mr. Barbarossa. Lucifina hates that motherfucker, but Rome loved him. You know, he led an army in the Third Crusade, died fighting for the Pope, so he was guaranteed a spot in heaven by the guy with the funny hat. Cut off all the peasant lady noses you want, as long as you're fighting for Pope. Dude's probably enjoying some harp music, munched on a perfectly roasted turkey leg up there right now. Uh, Sometimes reading about dark historical moments like this, I have some very dark thoughts float around in my head. Like, God, the planet would be so much better off if just fucking all of us were wiped off of it. Right? Just the whole human race. Don't really want that to happen, but (laughs) probably better overall for the planet. Uh, King Alfonso IX, who ruled the kingdoms of uh, Leon and uh, Galicia, now parts of modern-day Spain and Portugal, implemented a variety of uh, sex rules in the 1200s, right? In the 13th century, they illustrated how prostitution was uh, now being criminalized around Europe. Those who were found to be selling prostitutes, sexual enslavers, uh, exiled from their kingdoms, landlords who rented rooms to prostitutes, subject to having their houses seized, uh, husbands who prostituted their wives, uh, executed, and pimps flogged for a first offense and then sent to the galley uh, for a second offense and executed. Interesting, right? The husband, uh, you know, executed first offense, pimp second. Uh, women who supported pimps were to be publicly whipped and have the clothes they wore destroyed. Public whipping, destroying the clothing seems pretty fucking excessive for someone just uh, probably trying to, you know, keep food on the table by selling some sex. December of 1254, King Louis IX of France takes things further, orders the expulsion of all women of evil life. Get these women of evil life out of my kingdom. And the uh, confiscation of their belongings, even their clothing, is legalized. In 1256, he repeats the order to expel women free with uh, their bodies and other common harlots. He wanted them out of his cities to be forced to live outside of city walls. Very different attitude than anyone had in ancient Greece, Rome, or Mesopotamia, or in the East. Now to Italy in the 14th century, the Great Council of Venice ratifies a decree in 1358 that declares prostitution needed, absolutely indispensable to the world. So what's going on here? Could prostitution be becoming more accepted again? Yeah. Why? Fucking Renaissance, baby. Fuck yeah, bro. Uh, Cultural pushback against this ignorance of the Dark Ages begins with the Renaissance kicking off in Italy in the 14th century. Becomes fashionable once more, you know, to uh, to read books other than the Bible. Western schools look back to uh, ancient Greek philosophy again. The arts flourish. Intellectualism rises. Religion wanes a bit. And guess what? A more tolerant and practical attitude towards sexuality comes back into fashion. Ha! Imagine that. 
Coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, between 1350 and 1450, uh, numerous Italian city-states institutionalized prostitution, setting up municipal brothels. The Castelletto brothel in Venice opens its doors in 1360. Florence opens a brothel in 1403. Siena follows, 1421. In much of Europe during this time, there is now a mixed attitude towards prostitution. Sex outside of marriage was, of course, still a Christian sin. Very naughty. God hates it. Europe was very Christian at this time, but also cult- culturally accepted that young men would seek out sexual relations before marriage. And thus, it was thought by many that prostitution served to protect, quote, respectable townswomen from seduction and even rape. I remember learning in a uh, sexual psychology class uh, back in Gonzaga that there was uh, a theory that legalizing prostitution would lead to a drop in sex crimes. I didn't know that people were debating that point hundreds of years ago in Europe. Uh, and, the, and it actually might be true. A study from just a few years ago found that Dutch cities with legalized prostitution saw a dramatic decline in rape and sexual assaults. The author of the study that analyzed data from 1994 to 2011 found that there was a 32 to 40% reduction in rape and sexual abuse reports within two years of the city opening a legalized zone for prostitution. So another possible argument for legalizing sex work here. Even if it does not create a drop in sex trafficking, what if it does create create a dramatic reduction in rape. Uh, Though the Catholic Church in the 14th and 15th centuries did not hesitate to denounce prostitution as morally wrong, uh, there was more tolerance than before with the Renaissance. Uh, Religious sanctuaries now being set up specifically for prostitutes who wish to quit the profession. The church used Mary Magdalene's biblical history of being a reformed harlot to encourage prostitutes to repent and mend their ways. Not just being exiled, not just having their noses fucking hacked off. Uh, At the end of the 15th century, Europe's tolerance of prostitution wanes a bit again thanks to a fun new STI brought back from the New World that Europeans had encountered before. Columbus's first voyages to the Americas occurred three years before the Naples syphilis outbreak of 1495. Old Christopher Dirty Dick Columbus and his fucking filth-donged crew bring back the sin of raping and pillaging peaceful natives in North America and infect all of Europe. Beginning in the 1490s, the Great Pox, a.k.a. syphilis, ravaged Europe for nearly a century. This combined with the moral fervor of the Reformation and the Catholic Church uh, that led to Protestantism results in another public turn of opinion against prostitution. Those syphilis sores are seen as visible proof of God's wrath. He fucking warned you to keep your dirty dong, keep your fucking ween clean, and you didn't listen. Now you have sores all over, you dumb, fuck-hungry heathen. Uh, But despite concern over new disease and more religious pressure to not indulge people, still as horny as ever. Weird how that works. It's a powerful instinct that never goes away. Plenty of people still wanted prostitutes. And if they had the money, they could still find them. Much like in ancient Greece, now there is a rise of elite courtesans. Uh, first in Renaissance Italy, then elsewhere in Europe. What exactly is a courtesan? Uh, historically, a young, beautiful, educated, entertaining woman uh, paid to sexually satisfy wealthy and powerful men. Sort of like today's escort or sugar baby. And generally, uh, one man at a time over a much longer period of time than, say, you know, an hour or a night. She could charm people at a dinner party, maybe play music, recite poetry. Unlike the, uh, you know, common prostitute, uh, she was not available to everyone. Part of her status came from the fact that many people wanted her, but she only chose one suitor, the best. You're the best around, and now I'm really gonna fuck you down. Uh, And since she was super selective with her suitors, basically a rented mistress, there was uh, less chance of her having syphilis. So the sex market, still there for wealthy men, also still there for not so wealthy men. Uh, that market is feeling an increasing amount of negative legal pressure, though. In England in the 16th century, April 13th, 1546, Henry VIII's royal proclamation ends England's toler- tolerance for prostitutes, uh, who he called dissolute and miserable persons. 
<laughs> I can picture him saying that. I just, I don't care for these dissolute and miserable persons. Get them out of my kingdom. All known brothels shut down by the government. And another proclamation previous to this one ordered that any woman caught soliciting an English soldier would be punished by having her face branded with a hot fucking iron. Uh, this from the dude who had six wives, some of which he had straight up murdered. Cool. Uh, France would follow England's anti-sex suit a decade and a half later when an ordinance of King Charles IX, dated 1560, prohibited the opening or keeping of any brothel for prostitutes in Paris. Uh, all prostitutes were now required to leave Paris within 20, 24 hours. In 1586, Pope Sixtus V really ups the anti-paid sex ante, declares that the death penalty will be imposed on prostitution and sins against nature. Oh boy, this funny hat wearing dumb fuck. Uh, I bet he was privately, privately uh, fucking some priests or nuns or kids or something while also publicly decrying sins against nature. Uh, Sixtus V, that's a confusing name, Sixtus V, uh, intended his command to be followed by all over the Catholic world. And some death sentences were carried out. Uh, luckily for sex workers, kind of, uh, by that time due to the spread of uh, Reformation, a lot of Europe not under you know Catholic control especially the Scandinavian countries where, you know, they were Lutheran and Calvinists. So they didn't have to worry about the popes, sell your puss and off with your head decree, but they had other shit to worry about. Uh, The Lutherans would do barbaric shit like shave the head and cut the ears off of a woman guilty of prostitution. Yep, you heard right. Cut her fucking ears off. That'll teach her to be poor and desperate enough to fuck for money or to fuck for fun and money. Uh, The Calvinists would do fun stuff like brand women, uh, make them carry large stones around the city, stand in the stocks for days at a time for being, uh, you know, prostitutes. Blessed be the fruit. May the Lord open. Oh, my heck. Europe, prior to about 60 years ago. Always sounds so fun. Uh, 1617, returning to the East now, Japanese red light district of Yoshiwara, which translates to Good Luck Meadow, is established on the edge of the city of Edo, which is now Tokyo. In Japan, prostitution, uh, widespread, socially accepted this time, different classes for different types of sex workers. And the Oiran, or Tayu, were the highest rank of courtesan, women available only to the wealthiest and highest ranking men. There were all kinds of rules about how to essentially court the Oiran. You had to meet with her three times, spend lots of money before she maybe had sex with you. The first time you didn't even get to talk, right? Then you get to have like a meal with her the next time. Uh, you know, she could reject you the third time. There was uh, more chivalry in some ways with the Oiran than there is in most modern dating. Uh, elite Japanese sex workers this time, uh, very well educated. It was common for them to practice the arts of dance, music, poetry, calligraphy, as well as sexual services and an educated wit considered essential for sophisticated conversation. Because of this, many of these women became famous outside the red light districts and held influence in society. Some of them becoming, you know, true celebrities. And then there were, you know, various lower ranks containing both male and female prostitutes where there was uh, much less formality. Services cost less and a whole complex accepted system of sex work uh, existed for centuries. Also in the 1600s, the Turkish bathhouses of the Ottoman empire Featured a lot of sex work. Surprised me. Young boys, known as telex, for example, would uh, help bathe and massage male clients, even service them sexually, even though sodomy was illegal, right? Muhammad says no, no, dicks and butts. Muhammad hates dicks and butts um, and puss. Uh, but even though sodomy was illegal during this time, uh, telex would find other ways to pleasure their customers and sometimes form close relationships with them. Crazy considering how repressive, right, uh, Turkey is now in many ways. Prostitution, uh, actually legal there today. They have numerous government sanctioned brothels. Brothels, my God. Uh, Moving up to 1699 now, across the pond of the US of A, which at that time, of course, uh, British colonies. No formal laws against specifically prostitution at this time, but there were other laws that were used to punish sex workers. Prostitutes could and were punished under laws against adultery, uh, laws against fornication, 
Laws against being a, quote, common night walker. <laughs> Women who were uh, strolling the streets at night for, quote, immoral purposes. She is a common night walker strolling the streets like a strumpet for immoral purposes. I just want to take, I just want to go back in time and take dudes who say things like that and just fucking literally smash their heads into oblivion. Like how great would that be? Like just uh, like a, uh, <laughs> I was watching this show called Hellbound on Netflix. Uh, it's a great like South Korean show and I'm not going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, but you know, it's part of the plot right away where it's like these, uh, these demony monsters just kind of show up and just like punish, you know, uh, you sinners you know, in the show and just like come out of nowhere. These just like come out of nowhere. And then they, they grab the person who they've, you know, given a decree before saying they're going to come, but whatever, but they just come out of nowhere and grab them and just fucking fuck them up. And then just like burn them to, to nothing. How great would that be in like history? Like moments like that, some fucking powdered wig piece of shit. And these women, we must punish them for their street walking their uh, for immoral purposes. And then all of a sudden, just a monster just comes out of the wall. Just fucking smashes their fucking head and just like splatters it like a, like a tomato. And maybe the other guys be like, oh, oh or not. <laughs> or, or not have to. Maybe we could let them do what they want, have freedom. <laughs> I don't know. Please don't smash my head. Uh, Massachusetts first enacted an anti-Nightwalker law. In the Colonial Assembly of 1699, reenacted it in their state legislature uh, in 1787. Uh, Not until 1917 in Massachusetts that a prostitute could be punished specifically for prostitution. But again, it's all semantics. You get fucking punished in other ways. You know, other laws just took care of it. Uh, That doesn't mean that the laws were always enforced, though. That's a big thing with prostitution around the world. There's been laws on the books of so many countries, but whether they're enforced or not is another question. Like New York. Right, There was uh, plenty of laws against prostitution there, but they had a very robust prostitution scene in the 18th, 19th centuries. Uh, still still today, actually. From the 1760s to the 1780s, prostitution in New York flourished. It was out in the streets, in the taverns, close to the docks especially. Uh, for most of the 18th century, prostitutes uh, you know, promenaded you know, casually along the battery after nightfall. At the entrance to King's College, later Columbia University, one 18th century observer claimed that dozens of prostitutes provided a temptation to the youth that uh, have occasion to pass so often that way. Yeah, I bet. Uh, now back to France. Prostitution uh, was not legal in France after that decree in 1560, but it existed, was tolerated. An ordinance on November 6, 1778, stated the prostitutes were forbidden to exist if, however, they insisted on existing. They were forbidden to walk in public places or display themselves at windows in such a way as to attract custom. But if they insisted on doing these forbidden things, they must do them only in certain parts of the city. I fucking love the way that's uh, worded. What a, what a weird way to write an ordinance. Theft is illegal. Shoplifters will be punished severely. But if you must steal, if you insist on stealing, please don't steal anything from behind the counter, including what's in the cash register. That really irritates us. But if you must steal from the cash register, if you insist, please only do it in stores no one cares about, perhaps out in the suburbs. Uh, now on to the time of the uh, French Revolution. Uh, French Revolution through the legal status of prostitutionism question. As revolutionaries didn't want to give political authority to the old royal decrees that had banned didn't want to be part of the same old game, but also didn't know what to really do about it. From 1800 onwards, the consulate in France gradually imposed a system of toleration known as regulationism. Prostitution was tolerated as long as it compelled with the rules imposed by the state. It was controlled by a vice squad, literally translated as the police of morals, Created in 1802, excuse me, uh, prostitutes, if they were single and had uh, reached legal adulthood, they could work at home or in brothels, uh, luxury or low class, identified by a large number on their facade. 
These tolerated establishments were run by women, madams, who kept a register of their girls and monitored activities in the bedroom to prevent depravity. Gotta keep on the lookout for depravity. Yes, you can have sex in there, but not depravity. Prostitutes were controlled by being registered at the police headquarters. These enrolled girls or subjected girls were forced to have medical examinations in order to get birth control. If the inspectors found that the women had venereal diseases, they were treated. Uh, the vice squad also tracked down unregistered prostitutes who were then arrested, incarcerated, and uh, registered. William Acton was a serious student of prostitution who campaigned for its regulation in London. Around this time, he published a detailed survey of English prostitution in 1857 and in it compared it to systems elsewhere. This is his account of prostitution in France in the 1850s under this governmental system of regulationism. So detailed. Both Acton's account and the system itself. I won't share all of it because it gets a little laborious to comb through, but uh, I do find uh, you know a lot of it fascinating. Cool glimpse into how a government tried to deal with a complex social issue of sex work over 150 years ago in a complex, thought-out way, as opposed to just flippantly legislating you know, it with some version of prostitute bad, off with ears, no like, God mad, sin, go away, go on, get out of here. So, so here's, uh, here's this. Some music, uh, liven it up. The great object of the system adopted in France is to repress, repress private or secret and to encourage public or avowed prostitution. I may, however, as well premise by observing that the authorities of Paris by no means pretend to have established a control over the whole prostitution of that city. The concubinaries kept mistresses they cannot reach. The large sections of superior professional prostitutes, whom the French term femmes galantes, gay women, and lorettes, women of easy virtue, evade them, as do also vast hordes of the lower class of strumpets who throng the low quarters in the villages of the Banalou. The official registration of common prostitutes was now either on the voluntary demand of the female or by requisition of the Bureau of Public Morals. On appearing before this tribunal, the candidates... After declaring her name, age, quality, birthplace, occupation, and domicile, is submitted to a searching examination as follows. Is she married or single? Has she a father and mother living? And what are their pursuits? Does she reside with them? If not, why not? And when did she leave them? Has she children? How long has she inhabited Paris? And can she be owned there? Has she ever been arrested? And if so, the particulars. Has she previously been a prostitute? If so, the details. Has she had any? And what education? Has she any venereal infection? Her motives for the next step. Wow, man, grilling these potential sex workers harder than I've uh, ever been uh, grilled for a fucking job. It was, it was easier for me to get into college than it seems like it was for a woman to get into official sex work in 19th century France. Uh, much more thorough than, uh, uh, do you have a working pussy? Excellent. Do you feel comfortable selling it? Wonderful. Go hide. Now, he, he carries on now. She next proceeds to the Bureau Sanitaire, is medically examined and enrolled in that department. If found diseased, she is consigned to the St. Lazar Hospital forthwith. Forthwith, excuse me. Steps are meanwhile taken to verify her replies at the Bureau of Public Morals, and formal communications are now made to the mayor of her native commune, and an appeal for the women's redemption to her parents. Should the relatives of the girl be willing to receive her, she is remitted to them at public cost. She, however, frequently refuses to disclose them or is ignorant of their existence, and it rarely occurs that they reclaim her. If, as has happened, she be a virgin or a minor, she is consigned to a religious establishment. Should spleen or, desp or despair cause the next step and show symptoms, and she show symptoms of good qualities, immediate attempts are made to change her intention, and she is often sent home or placed in a reformatory at the public cost. If her parents reside in Paris, they are communicated with. 
all, in fact, that the Bureau of Public Morals can do, I should say in justice, I believe to be done, to warn and restrain the female about to enroll herself in the ranks of public prostitution, and only when all this has failed is the formality complied with. This formality, which takes the form of a colorable contract or covenant between the prostitute and authorities, would seem to argue a sort of consciousness on the part of the latter of the entire illegality of the proceedings throughout. This over, the individual is presumed at liberty to select the category of prostitution in which she will be comprehended, if she is totally destitute, or any arrangement to this effect had been previously entered into. She is registered to a certain licensed house. I should read this happy now because of this music. To whose licensed proprietors she became a marked and numbered serf or chattel, to be used or abused within certain limitations at discretion, if she has command of capital enough to furnish a lodging of her own, she is provided with a ticket or a cart to be used or abused. The author of these observations, William Acton, may be not a fan of the sex work industry. Maybe some 19th century British religious, uh, religious morality coming through in his assessment, or maybe just some good healthy concern for what has historically been a trade link with a lot of violence. Acton continues. On the reverse of this ticket are printed the following. Obligations and restrictions imposed on public women. Public women in cart are called upon to present themselves at the dispensary for examination, once at least every 15 days. They are called upon to exhibit this card on every request of police officers and agents. They are forbidden to practice the calling during daylight, or to walk in the thoroughfares until at least half an hour after the public lamps are lighted, or at any season of the year before 7 o'clock or after 11 p.m. They must be simply and decently clad, so as not to attract attention by the richness, striking colors, or extravagant fashion of their dress. They must wear some sort of cap or bonnet, and not present themselves bareheaded. They are strictly forbidden to address men accompanied by females or children, or to address loud or anxious solicitations to any person. They may not, under any pretext whatsoever, exhibit themselves at their windows, which must be kept constantly closed and provided with curtains. They are strictly forbidden to take up a station at the foot pavement, to form or walk together in groups, or to and fro in a narrow space, or to allow themselves to be attended or followed by men. The neighborhood of churches and chapels within a radius of 25 yards are forbidden, along with many other locations. They are essentially forbidden to frequent public establishments or private houses where clandestine prostitution might be facilitated, or to reside in boarding houses or exercise their calling beyond the quarter of the town they reside in. They are likewise strictly prohibited from sharing lodgings with a kept woman or another girl, or to reside in furnished lodgings at all without a permit. Public women must abstain when at home from anything which can be given ground for complaints by the neighbors or passerby. Those who may infringe the public regulations, resist the agents of authority, or give false names of addresses, will incur penalties proportionate to the gravity of their case. To recapitulate, these public women are divided into two categories, domiciled in and registered to certain licensed houses, for whom the keepers of these houses are responsible. Two, free prostitutes who are responsible to the authorities directly. Their health is inspected by the official medical staff at the house of their inscription once in every week. The second form two subclasses, women who have their own apartment and furniture, and others who by special permit live in finished lodging, etc. This is a weird song now. I didn't remember hearing this initially earlier when I combed this playlist. The same policy which considers the registration of the prostitute indispensable to public order dictates the exercise of considerable caution in liberating her from supervision. The petition must be in writing and supported. I feel like I'm surrounded by people dancing now. The petition must be in writing and supported by evidence of an intention really and truly to abandon the mode of life. The corroborative demand of an intending husband of parents or relatives who will be responsible for future conduct in certain well-authenticated cases. That of one who will secure her as a mistress against future want. 
or a medical certificate of inability to continue prostitution. All command respect and action, more or less immediate. But the mere profession of change sentiment is treated with suspicion and a probation of two to three months under private surveillance is insisted upon, etc., uh, etc. Et you get it. Uh, acting goes on. Explaining the brothels can't be uh, located in new church, you know, churches, you know, government buildings, schools, uh, hotels, factories. Uh, they must also be distinguished from other houses by the size uh, of the figures of their address numbers. They uh, can't have working girls, you know, share rooms. Children are not allowed to be in the brothels. Blinds on the fucking shut windows have to be drawn. Can't advertise the neighbors how much fun you're having and on and on and on. And then acting compares the French system to the British one, uh, writing the prostitutes in Paris are not spread all over the streets as in London. They're only to be found in certain localities prescribed by the police. However, uh, you know, numerous women did work outside the system. Uh, Acton writes, this is our final excerpt from him, much shorter than the previous one, much shorter. The clandestine prostitutes, notwithstanding all the precautions of the police to register every woman gaining her livelihood by prostitution, is frequently to be met within the streets of Paris. Work girls, servants, and girls serving in shops who wish to increase their small earnings and yet are not registered by the police come under the head of clandestine prostitutes. These last, of course, are not more subject to control than ordinary persons, but the police in Paris strictly supervise all women known by them to be prostitutes and render the streets passable at all hours of the evening or night to respectable females, and solicitation is strictly forbidden. Moreover, Frenchmen do not, as a rule, go into the streets of Paris after dinner to meet with adventures. They rather frequent the casinos or houses of accommodation. And even if some women are to be seen in certain streets in Paris in the early part of the evening, after half past eleven, the streets are quite deserted, as the police oblige every woman to retire to her room at that hour. How different is the condition of the streets of London? And we might well follow in this respect the example of the French. In London, a man has prostitution thrust upon him. In Paris, he has to go out his way and look for it. Is if uh, so that external decency, so average in England, is uh, there maintained. Uh, and so forth and fucking thusly and bullshit. Uh, so interesting, right? I mean, I, I do love a good first-hand account of how things existed, you know, at different historical points. The French model described here, very complex. I mean, it goes on and on uh, further than what I showed. Very, very regulated. So legal, but yeah, with lots of government regulations. Uh, the French model described here soon spread throughout Europe with Napoleon's conquests. And then even after Napoleon's defeat, many countries kept his system, known as the French system, freely adopted by countries with every, you know, uh, with very different political systems, with slight variations from place to place when it came to the prioritization of the area's goals. Uh, now let's look at how 19th century Russia dealt with sex work. In 1843, Tsarist uh, Russia legalized brothels and prostitution. And it was regulated by the Medical Department of Eternal Infair, Internal Affairs. The main Russian cities set up as medical police committees, reinforced the control of prostitutes by issuing them with yellow health cards. Uh, this increased bureaucracy did not mean things got better for the prostitutes themselves. In fact, many police officers and pimps exploited prostitutes, some underage, in spite of the law. Uh, fighting the urge to make a Chikatilo wrestling reference here only because we're talking about Russia and uh, cannot fight it. Well, Chikatilo not a big fan of lay the sex work. Uh, they do not know what to do. Limpa shimcock. They do not know how to give a good sweatpants jerk. <laughs> what is big deal? Just keep uh, pants on when grab iron curtain noodle. Let me watch from corner while you're busy with coming this uh, client guy. I bother no one. Uh, July 29th, 1864. England now. England semi-adopted the French system by passing the Contagious Diseases Act, which allowed the police to arrest prostitutes in ports and army towns and bring them in to have uh, you know, them receive compulsory checks for venereal disease. If the woman tested positive, they were hospitalized until cured. Not sure how they cured anything back then, but they tried. 
It was claimed many of the women arrested were not prostitutes, uh, resulting in forced medical examinations and hospitalizations, and the law was repealed on March 26, 1886. In Spain, which had abolished prostitution for the last two centuries, uh, the French system adopted by the biggest cities, such as Madrid in 1847, and by 1908, it was applied to the whole country. In the spring of 1870, the political leaders of St. Louis, Missouri, here in America, all male decided to emulate Paris and voted 16 to 5 to make St. Louis the first American city to legalize prostitution. That same year, St. Louis police chief James McDonough estimated there were 5,000 prostitutes working in the city with a total population of somewhere between 235,000 and 310,000. Nine years later, though, the so-called social evil of prostitution shut down. Too much uproar from Christian moralists. Uh, in the late 19th century, brothels did exist all over the U.S., especially in the Wild West. Uh, they almost always existed in a state of being tolerated, despite being technically illegal. Uh, in a few places, was legal, though, such as in New Orleans. Fuck yeah, Nola! Hail Lucifina! Uh, 1897, New Orleans' red light district, Storyville, was created. Uh, Storyville was behind the French Quarter, along Basin Street, between Canal Street and St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. Operated from 1897 till 1917, when the World War uh, One with uh, with World War One. Oh my God! When with World War One raging, uh, the U.S. Navy forced the city to shut it down. Uh, the district was created when the city's alderman Sidney Story responded to public protests against rampant prostitution in New Orleans uh, and succeeded in having the city council adopt an ordinance in January of 1897 limiting brothel saloons and other businesses of vice to a prescribed area. And the area was located by a, a train station, making it a very popular destination for travelers. And, uh, you know, it, was a, it became a centralized attraction in the heart of New Orleans. Uh, the district, as it was called, had a mixture of upscale brothels and mansions such as Hilma Burt's, Lulu White's Mahogany Hall on Basin Street, cheaper 25-cent brothels with prostitute cribs and pads, uh, saloons and dance halls on the back streets. The mansions employed parlor pianists, including Jelly Roll Morton, Performing throughout the day and evening hours while the saloons and dance halls often uh, hired ragtime bands to uh, entertain patrons. The corner of uh, Custom House in Franklin, today's Iberville and Crozat Streets, home to several infamous bars, one of the most notorious, Big 25s, featured early jazz legendary musicians such as Big Eye, Louis Nelson, King Oliver, and Louis Armstrong. What a scene! Ladies of ill repute and incredible jazz musicians and great whiskey and the magic of NOLA all fucking combined together. Uh, sounds a bit like heaven on earth. Sounds like a great time. Uh, now jumping to 1911, almost within a century of the present, we're on the home stretch now, the Chicago Vice Report comes out. Chicago, like NOLA, another U.S. city where prostitution was uh, legal in some areas. March 1910, Mayor Fred Buss uh, appointed 30 Chicagoans to solve a vexing problem of public policy. Should prostitution remain a regulated business in segregated vice districts, such as at the Levee at 22nd and Dearborn? Or should these districts be outlawed? then scattering illegal prostitution throughout the city. At first, the Chicago Vice Commission members favored keeping the red light districts. But uh, as typical progressive area reformers, they set out to thoroughly investigate the question. Commissioners then spoke to civic, religious, neighborhood organizations, police officers, prostitutes, and concluded that segregation and regulation had failed and that the vice districts had to be permanently abolished, cued the same old prostitution now just done uh, around the city and not primarily in one area. In uh, 1913, a look at prostitution gets a big scientific uh, examination. Uh, this year, the U U.S. Bureau of Social Hygiene, incorporated by John D. Rockefeller Jr., as a re result of his service on a very special grand jury to investigate white slavery in New York in 1910. The purpose of the Bureau was the study, amelioration, and prevention of those social conditions, crimes, and diseases which adversely affect the well-being of society, with special reference to prostitution and the evils associated therewith. 
1913, the American Vigilance Association joined with the American Federation for Sex Hygiene to form the American Social Hygiene Association. Significant because the first group uh, was opposed to prostitution on moral grounds, while the second opposed it on a public health basis. Both now are coming together examining you know, prostitution. A lot of studying of prostitution going on now. Uh, with the start of World War I, prostitution becomes uh, you know, more of a target of world governments than ever. With soldiers abroad and visiting local prostitutes wherever they're stationed, venereal disease becomes a military problem in many places. April 17th, 1917, the Commission on Training Camp Activities is created by the U.S. federal government in the U.S. to deal with the sexual and moral aspects of training camps. Investigators from the Legal Education Division of the CTCA surveyed prostitution in cities near the cantonments and were able, as the earlier vice commissions were not, to bring federal pressure in order to eliminate the most visible aspects of prostitution red light districts, and street solicitation. So Storyville gets shut down. Uh, More anti-prostitution regulations follow. On July 9th, 1918, Congress passes the Chamberlain Con Act, made it possible for the government to quarantine for the protection of the military and naval forces of the U.S. any woman suspected of having venereal disease. The discovery of venereal infection upon examination could constitute proof of prostitution. No way a law like that could ever be abused, Right. Uh, This law meant that during the war, any American woman could be legally detained and medically examined against her will if, in the opinion of officials of the CTCA or the Interdepartmental Social Hygiene Board, her lifestyle or observed or rumored sexual behavior indicated she might be infected. Are you fucking kidding me? Rumored sexual behavior? You know this law was abused relentlessly. By like low-level bureaucratic, you know, dipshit tyrants, just unfuckable guys trying to embarrass women. Are you sure you don't want to have dinner with me this Friday, Susan? I'd hate to see you brought in and examined. I'd hate for them to find anything unsavory (laughs) during a very invasive examination. You know, and then you get labeled a prostitute. What would your parents think? What would your friends think? Maybe, Maybe I should examine you, Susan. Save you a scandal because I'm such a nice guy. How fucking crazy that law ever existed. And, uh, and, and why only directed towards women? You know, why couldn't random dudes be brought in to make sure that their fucking weens were clean, right? Why, why couldn't dirty dongs be brought in if they were rumored to be dirty? Lucifina really not happy about all this. Uh, similar measures, measures being taken out at this time in Russia in an anti-capitalistic direction. 1919, the committee of the, the committee for the suppression of prostitution very communist name. The Committee for the Suppression of Prostitution, uh, inaugurated at the Public Health Office in Moscow. Its operations were conducted not against the girls, who were seen as unwilling victims of the czarist regime, but against the capitalist-created institution itself. The new Soviet government believed that since the causes could be diagnosed as purely economic, the remedy lay in economic solutions. Working girls are now sent away to labor camps, where they are trained as nurses or re-educated in other trades that they don't get to choose. And I, I don't know, like, I guess that's kind of nice in, in theory. Uh, not very pro-freedom, though. But, you know, that's communism. You surrender free will to the state. Fuck that. Uh, Bojangles just shook his head. I would rather be exploited to death in a capitalistic regime than live a soulless communistic shadow of a life. Just tell me what to do and how to do it, state mommy and state daddy. Yay, no free will. Uh, in Germany, things get pretty good for sex workers for a bit before Hitler takes over and fucks everything up for everybody. Uh, 1927, the law for combating venereal diseases decriminalizes prostitution in general, abolishes Germany's morality police, and outlaws regulated brothels. Meanwhile, in the land of future Nazi war partner Japan, things not going well for sex workers. Not at all. Let's talk about Japan's so-called comfort women. 
as the Imperial Japanese Army occupies areas all over Asia in the 30s leading up to World War II, military brothels created for Japanese soldiers to visit. They were first set up as early as 1932 in Shanghai, most uh, created after the outbreak of full-scale fighting in China in 1937. This was because on December 13th, 1937, Japanese troops began a six-week-long massacre that essentially destroyed the Chinese city of Nanking. Along the way, Japanese troops raped between 20 and 80,000 Chinese women. This atrocious historical incident would become known as the Rape of Nanking. Over 100,000 people killed, a lot of shit, you know, burnt and destroyed as well. The mass rapes, though, this uh, horrified the uh, outside world the most. Emperor Hirohito, concerned with its impact on uh, Japan's image, so he orders the military to expand its so-called comfort stations, or military brothels, in an effort to prevent further atrocities, reduce sexually transmitted diseases, and ensure a steady and isolated group of prostitutes to satisfy uh, Japanese soldiers' sexual appetites. How crazy, again, that the response is not to, uh, you know, really punish the soldiers, but instead to create a better market for their sexual appetites. Very much a, you know, boys will be boys. <laughs> what do you do? Kind of attitude. Should we punish our soldiers, sir? No. What are you, crazy? We need them. We need them to keep killing and expanding our empire. But I would like them to stop raping. Or at least not rape as much. But if they insist on raping, genius idea incoming. What if we give them our own women to rape so they don't have to rape local women? Everyone wins. Except, of course, the comfort women. But hopefully they'll be too ashamed to talk about it until long after I'm dead. Uh, some of these comfort stations were managed by civilians for profit, but uh, frequented by members of the Japanese armed forces, others established and run directly by the Japanese military. Uh, the number of women recruited to work in these places unknown. Estimates vary from 20,000 all the way to 400,000. Uh, most estimates suggest a, a range of 50 to 200,000, probably is the most accurate. Excuse me. Uh, the methods of recruitment and the conditions which women faced varied enormously. Some were Japanese women who had worked as prostitutes previously. Or volunteers in a sense, all they, uh, you know, often driven to volunteer through economic pressure. Uh, very large number of women from Korea and China who had been lured away from their homes with promises to work in factories or restaurants only to find themselves incarcerated in comfort stations in foreign lands. Forced prostitution, brutal sex trafficking. Uh, other women in Korea, Southeast Asia and elsewhere rounded up at literal gunpoint forced to work in these brothels, true sexual slavery. Uh, in 2007, Associated Press reporters discovered that some U.S. authorities allowed these comfort stations to operate well past the end of the war, and that tens of thousands of women in the brothels had sex with American men before Douglas MacArthur shut the system down in 1946. An Associated Press review of historical documents and records in 2007, some never before translated into English, showed that American authorities permitted the official brothel system to operate despite internal reports that women were being coerced into prostitution. Obviously terrible. The Americans also had full knowledge by then of uh, Japan's atrocious treatment of women in countries across Asia that it had conquered during the war. Tens of thousands of women employed to provide cheap sex to U.S. troops until the spring of 1946 when General Douglas MacArthur finally shut the brothels down. Man. Uh, documents show that it wasn't uh, you know, only that the brothels kept running when the Americans arrived. They actually grew. According to the Ibaraki Prefectural Police Department, um, Ibaraki, uh, the Japanese police set up sexual comfort stations for American troops supposedly out of hope that it would keep American soldiers from going after civilian women and girls. Uh, maybe some projection going on here. Of course, they'll start raping our women if we don't give them comfort women. I mean, that's what we would do, isn't it? Uh, GIs paid up front. We're given tickets and condoms. The first brothel catering to American soldiers, the Babe Garden, had 38 women, but due to demand, uh, quickly increased to over 100 women. Each woman would serve us from 15 to 60 clients a day. 60 in a day. What the fuck? No sex worker 
is enjoying such brutal exploitation. Uh, by the end of 1945, about 350,000 U.S. troops were occupying Japan, and Japan was employing 70,000 prostitutes to serve them. Uh, amid complaints from military chaplains and concerns that disclosure of the brothels would embarrass the occupation forces, back in the U.S. on March 25th, 1946, MacArthur places all brothels, conversations, and other places of prostitution off limits. By that time, more than a quarter of all American GIs in the occupation forces had already contracted a sexually transmitted disease. More would soon pick up one afterwards. Uh, the sudden nationwide off-limits policy puts more than 150,000 Japanese women out of a job, and most continue to serve the troops just illegally now, out of economic necessity. Uh, it was a brutal time in Japan, and uh, you know, in Japanese-occupied areas for so many women. Let's hear the story of just one of the many thousands of these comfort women. Back before World War II began, Lee Akshon was uh, running an errand for her parents between five and six one afternoon when a group of uninformed, uh, uh, excuse me, when a group of uniformed men burst out of a car, attacked her and dragged her into a vehicle. She's 14 years old. This fateful afternoon, Lee's life in Busan, a town uh, in what is now South Korea, ends for good. The teenager is taken to a so-called comfort station in Japanese-occupied uh, China. At the moment, she has no idea that she's never going to see her family again, nor step foot in her home country for nearly six fucking decades. Has no idea what torture awaits her. It was not a place for humans, Lee told an interviewer in 2013. Like other women, she was threatened, beaten by her captors. We were often beaten, threatened, and attacked with knives, Lee said. We were 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Fuck. Didn't believe anyone would save us from this hell. During her time there, she was completely isolated from the outside world, trusted no one. It was a state of constant despair. Many of the other girls committed suicide by drowning. At one point, she thought that was her only option too, but couldn't do it. Suicide by fucking drowning. That reads so especially sad, right? Like, like the will for life is so strong that when you can't breathe, you instinctively try to find oxygen. How bad must you want to die to overcome that basic survival instinct and keep yourself underwater? When she was just 15 years old, she was being raped by up to 50 Japanese soldiers a day. They would line up. If she refused, she was beaten, cut with knives, threatened with murder, even once forced to watch a 14-year-old be hacked to death in front of her as a, quote, example, right? Don't deny these men. Despite all the horrors she witnessed, Lee never gave up. She decided to live, ended up surviving the war after the Japanese uh, capitulation in late summer of 1945. The owner of the brothel, brothel she worked at disappeared. She and the other women suddenly free again, but also confused and disoriented. I didn't know where I should go. I had no money. I was homeless. I had to sleep on the street, she said. She didn't know how to get back to Korea, or if she even wanted to go back, the shame she felt was so overwhelming. How sad to feel such shame over something you, you were forced into. She says, I, I decided I would rather spend the rest of my days in China. How could I have gone home? It was written on my face that I was a comfort woman. I could have never looked at my mother in the eyes again, Jesus. Uh, Lee Akshon uh, meets a man of Korean descent uh, in China, marries him, takes care of his children. She felt it was her duty because now she couldn't have kids of her own. She'd contracted syphilis as a teen, gotten sick, nearly died. And uh, to increase her chances of survival, doctors had removed her uterus. Uh, she lived in the city of Yanji, kept to herself, tried to get back on her feet before she met her husband. She didn't speak to anyone about being a comfort woman for decades, not until 1991. When she became the first comfort woman to go public with her story. That's crazy. That The shame was so deep that thousands of women, thousands and tens of thousands kept quiet for decades. Lee encouraged and inspired 250 other women to finally talk about their experiences as sex slaves for Japanese soldiers during the war, demand recognition and an apology from the Japanese government. Following uh, Lee coming forward, former comfort women and their supporters meet every, started to meet every Wednesday outside the Japanese embassy in Seoul. For years, holding placards, shouting protest slogans, 
demanding to be recognized. They wanted Japan to apologize. Japan did do a study on comfort women, thanks to their protests. Kind of apologized in 1993, but not really. Never a full admission of guilt. Zero acknowledgement of the role that the government played in setting up these brothels. In 2007, the Japanese Supreme Court finally decided comfort women uh, had no claim to monetary damages. So their half-ass apology pretty hollow. During his time in office in early 2007, incumbent Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, for example, said there was no proof that the women were forced to work in the brothels. Uh-huh. He would later apologize for his statement, but still. 2014, Toru Hashimoto, governor of Osaka, told journalists that in times of war, sex slavery was necessary to keep discipline amongst the troops. Woo! How else can you keep guys from raping everybody? Boys will be boys. Uh, when she heard that, Lee Akshon thought it was outrageous, saying, I cannot grasp how anyone can say such a thing. Whoever refuses to accept that the Japanese did, uh, what the Japanese did back then is not a human being. Lee now lives in South Korea with her family. She is 94. In 2000, after the death of her husband, she felt the urge to go back to her country of origin, make her story public. Um, you know, then she began living in Seoul. And this so-called house of sharing, uh, where she provides, you know, uh, uh, which provides assistance to uh, former sex slaves. If there was, uh, it was there that she received psychological care for the very first time. Holy shit. All that she went through, raped literally thousands of times over the course of the war. Never had anyone to talk uh, to about it, grieve and heal. But finally got some help. Love knowing that. Researching her past, she learned that her parents had died, but their youngest brother was still alive. So she meets up with him. He helps her a little bit at the beginning, but then the relationship deteriorates and then he wants nothing to do with her. She's victimized all over again. She says her brother was ashamed of her, too embarrassed even later in his life to be the brother of a former comfort woman and wanted nothing more to do with her. Sounds like a real asshole. What a terrible choice to make. Yikes, the dark side of sex work here, obviously, sexual slavery. Next to child prostitution, the most concerning kind of sexual work. Uh, Back to Europe before World War II now. May of 1933, the Nazi party recriminalizes prostitution in Germany. The revised Clause 361.6 statute criminalized any form of public solicitation pursued in a conspicuous manner or in a manner suited to harass individuals of the public. The police engaged themselves in massive raids on streetwalking prostitutes, though no comprehensive figures exist. Estimated that thousands, uh, more likely tens of thousands of prostitutes arrested during the spring and summer of 1933. And then the Nazis start to regulate brothels, state-sanctioned brothels in the fall of 1934. The Nazis wanted to eradicate street solicitation and to confine prostitutes to tightly supervised brothels. For the first time, a German government made the establishment of supervised brothels compulsory for all cities and issued standardized regulations for the operation of so-called public houses. While there had been state-regulated prostitution before, what was new about the Nazi system was an attempt to use the state to create a certain form of human sexuality. Nazi brothels aimed to maintain the physical fitness and morale of Aryan men only and to encourage sex only between Aryan men and Aryan women. Of course, those shitheads would make prostitution you know, a, a racist affair. Uh, before long, any prostitutes not on board with the racial make Aryan men feel good about their Aryan dicks uh, sex work sent to concentration camps. And the rest, you know, we're probably getting, I don't know, fucking super weird Nazi pep talks about how to go fuck uh, for the glory of the of the Reich. Ladies, full attention, please. I'm Hans Wiener, your sex work sergeant. You must be sure to tell the good, strong, Aryan Nazi men that they have the biggest, whitest penises. So much bigger than the other races. Now that you have seen uh, a black or not that you have seen a, a black or a brown or red or yellow penis, of course, well, if you'd ever touch them, you'd be far too dirty. To then have the privilege to touch so many super big, super white, also hard Aryan cock. Let me be clear, I'm not gay, for that is weak and not part of Hitler's master plan. But still, 
a part of me is so jealous that you get to lick so much young Nazi cock, putting it between your Caucasian lips, then putting it in your sweet Aryan pussy holes. Of course, if it was me, it would be entering my Aryan anus, wouldn't it? For I do not have a pussy hole. A glorious white cock with a beautiful pink masterless tip pushing into my German mangina, thrusting deeply but gently, forcefully, slightly deeper with each push until pouring out and spraying a geyser of hot masterless cum all over my smooth Aryan face skin and master mustache whiskers. <laughs> oh. Anyway, um... Do, do good work and hit us proud of you and, you know, you're great ladies and, you know, yada yada and you get it. Uh, jump me back ahead now to post-World War II. Back to Japan. May 24th, 1956, Japan's law number 118, also called the 1956 Anti-Prostitution Law, ends legal prostitution. With this law, the 300-year history of Tokyo's Yashawara Red Light District comes to an end, as does approximately 500 other such red light districts. And a few years later, 1959, Britain would legalize prostitution, sort of. Uh, based on a recommendation of the Wolfenden Report, Britain decriminalizes prostitution but bans solicitation and other related activities with the Street Offense Act of 1959. 1971, the U.S. legalizes some prostitution in Nevada. Right? The state of Nevada begins to formally regulate prostitution, giving rural counties the option to license brothels. Uh, two years later, 1973, Coyote. Call off your old tired ethics, the first prostitutes' right group in the U.S., formed in San Francisco by Margot St. James. Love it. Uh, similar groups form across the country, such as Flop, Friends and Lovers of Prostitutes, Hire, Hooking is Real Employment, Puma, Prostitute Union of Massachusetts Association, and Sappy, Sweet Ass Pussy Pays, y'all. Uh, might have just made up Sappy, but the rest were real. 1985, the International Committee for Prostitutes' Rights holds its first Congress in Amsterdam. This is the first international meeting of prostitutes' rights groups. Uh, 14 years later, January 1st, 1999, Sweden classifies prostitution as male violence against women and children, states that only the customer should be considered a criminal. I think this is the first time the stance has been taken by a government, placing the onus of legal responsibility on the sex work customer, not the sex work provider. And I like it. Uh, you know, it seems more fair. Reminds me of that Canadian law I mentioned before the timeline that didn't come around until uh, 2014. Uh, moving into the 21st century now, in 2002, a German prostitution reform law declares prostitution is no longer immoral and that pimping is legal if it's enforced with, you know, formal contracts. If, uh, you know, increased access to state health in, uh, insurance and pension schemes and it allows prostitutes to sue their clients for non-payment. Should it be a new name for this type of pimp? Maybe a, a, a sex manager? Maybe a, a fuck agent? Oh, I hear somebody coming. I'm surprised he hasn't already showed up, actually. Huh. Bye-bye, playboy. Bye-bye. This is the kind of pimping that might bring Chicken Joe back into the game. Taking pimping out of the alley, into the boardroom, is how to put some respect on my name. Health insurance in a 401k instead of a cheap motel or a cold street walk on Winter's Day. That's the kind of play I'll take all day, every day. Taking the business and fucking out of the shadows, under some office lights. Might sound lame, but it's the best way to kill the sex is dirty. Blame game. Gotta make this sex shit legit. Only way to kill the violence and the shame is to normalize selling slip. Time to legalize sucking, fucking, laying, and splaying. You feel me? You dig? You hear what I'm saying? Huh. Right, thank, thank you, Chicken Joe. No, I was just, uh, I was just Chicken Joe's way of you know, saying that, uh, you know, he likes, you know, formalizing it and having some kind of regulation and just taking out the shadows and uh, making it a, a proper business, which, uh, okay. All right. Uh, June 25th, 2003. By a vote of 60 to 59, the New Zealand Parliament passes the Prostitution Reform Act of 2003 that decriminalizes 
prostitution, creates a system of regulations for brothels. I mentioned some stats earlier based on New Zealand sex work or some opinions, I guess. I uh, had no idea it was essentially legal there until this episode. Uh, similar votes with mixed results take place in the U.S. on a local scale the following year, November 2nd, 2004, city of Berkeley, California, votes 63% against decriminalizing prostitution. Same day, Churchill County, Nevada votes 62, almost 63% to keep brothels legal, even though no brothels even existed in the county at that time. Uh, five years later, December 11th, 2009, male prostitution legalized in Nevada. Men were previously barred in Nevada from the oldest profession because codes specified that prostitutes must undergo cervical testing for uh, sexually transmitted diseases, which, you know, rules out men. Bobby Davis, owner of the Shady Lady Ranch, it's a great name, small brothel near Beatty, Nevada, wanted to add male prostitutes to her stable of sex workers. And while there had been uh, plans for brothels to hire men in the past, Davis made the first ever formal request to have the state, uh, Nevada State Board of Health add uh, urethral exams to the guidelines and she got her wish and uh, in case you're warning the male prostitutes uh, got to decide whether they wanted to service fe- female or male clients just like uh, female prostitutes headed back to china now 2011 for a new and interesting form of sex work brought on uh, by the internet in 2011 chinese users of a shopping site called uh, taobao could rent a temporary boyfriend or girlfriend often during family gatherings <laughs> uh, at the lunar year uh, holiday uh, Lunar New Year holiday to deflect parental pressure to find a spouse. Dozens of similar services then pop up, and uh, including Quick Come Rent Me in 2015, which operates a uh, through a public account on the mobile app WeChat. And those who do not seek to rent themselves out usually fetch a price, or I'm sorry, those who do seek to rent themselves out usually fetch a price around one or two you know uh, dollars per hour. One 47 year old man who lived in the northern region of Inner Mongolia indicates that on his quick come rent me profile that he lasts long in bed. All right. Uh, interesting work around here with this app. Essentially, quick come rent me is just a dating app. Oh God, Jesus. I hit a button with my finger accidentally. Bojangles, you scared me. <laughs> Getting used to my new surroundings. My God. <laughs> that was uh, hilarious to me. Um, I literally just accidentally hit a button on my touchpad of Bojangles snarling but had no idea that I even touched it. And so just for a second in my crazy brain, I'm like, how the fuck did an angry dog get into this room? Back to, refocusing on this app. <laughs> this is fascinating. Uh, Quick Come Rent Me is a dating app. Yeah, not unlike Tinder, but you pay someone uh, you know, to be able to date them instead of just uh, you know, hooking up for free. You swipe right and then send them the equivalent of just a, a few dollars. You don't literally swipe, you, the, the equivalent. Swiping right and then you send them you know, a few dollars uh, at first just to open up lines of communication. And you might just chat with them. And then you might uh, pay for them to come to the movies with you or go to dinner with you. Uh, but also, once you've opened up the pay door, you can start, you know, to ask them for sex. And that is expected. That's the understanding of why everyone is using this site. That it's not for real dating. It is for fucking. But since it's not only for fucking, it's not technically a prostitution app. So, you know, creative and clever. Uh, prostitution pornography uh, are technically illegal in China. Although hair salons, massage parlors commonly double as brothels. Uh, 2013, Switzerland gets creative with their sex work. On August 26th of that year, the city of Zurich, Switzerland launches what they called sex boxes. Although prostitution was already legal in Switzerland, critics said the law actually offered little protection to the women themselves. So they came up with a solution. Instead of soliciting on the streets, prostitutes and clients now expected to use a custom-built compound on an industrial site in the Zurich suburbs. Inside the gates of the compound, uh, which are manned by security guards, Clients can uh, drive down a strip of road, select a woman to spend some time with. Once the client has made their choice, the two go into a sex box, which is basically just a parking spot with three walls for some privacy. Uh, 
On the driver's side, the boxes are customized to be very narrow, making it difficult uh, you know, for him to get out of his car. On the passenger side, there's plenty of space uh, for the girl to get out and press an alarm button and then an uh, emergency escape door. Uh, where the hell, so I guess there's actually four. The picture I saw was three, but there's like, like a garage door that closes down so you have privacy. Apparently, uh, they got this idea from Germany. Germany's been using something similar in major cities since 2001. The German sex boxes reported to have led to a considerable drop in violence against sex workers. And while stats haven't been released, Zurich officials said in 2018 that the boxes have been a great success and have led to a massive drop in sex worker violence there. May 25th, 2016 now. Amnesty International, an international non-governmental organization focused on human rights with its headquarters in the UK and roughly 7 million members and supporters, recommends decriminalizing prostitution worldwide, calling on governments around the world to decriminalize consensual sex work. While the recommendation is denounced by some groups whose goal is to end prostitution, which they see as a source of sexual inequality and harmful to women, Amnesty drew support from many public health advocates and activists who see decriminalization as the best means of reducing the harms associated with the sex industry, including underage prostitution, trafficking, and violence. So the debate continues. Uh, Now let's jump to today. Uh, As I said earlier, it's estimated that there are currently between around 42 million prostitutes in the world. Many countries currently allow prostitution as a regulated business, such as parts of the Netherlands, Germany, and most of Mexico. Others tolerate some form of prostitution, but prohibit brothels and other organized businesses. These include Canada, the, uh, Spain, Portugal, Finland, a variety of uh, other mostly European countries. Forms of prostitution decriminalized or straight up legal in New Zealand, most of Australia, Greece, elsewhere. Many countries have laws prohibiting brothels, but seldom enforce them, such as in India. It's prohibited throughout the U.S., except in some of Nevada's counties. Uh, The world still cannot decide what to do with the world's oldest profession. Let's get out of this timeline and, uh, you know, talk about it a little bit more. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So what do we do? After soaking in all of this the uh, past several days are soaking in all of this, and that is not a reference to the Mormon Provo float uh, sex move. I think legalization with some governmental oversight is the best is the best route. Not a perfect option, but the best option. Just like a city has a fire department, police department, city hall, sewage treatment facility, etc. I think there should also be an area set aside for the you know equivalent of a red light district, uh, similar to a liquor license. Uh, you know, also maybe you can get a, a sex license for a, a house of ill repute. AKA Funhouse, or just to be a you know uh, sex worker, legal sex worker. There should be security cameras, ID required to purchase sex. Your uh, your ID logged, so if something happens to you, uh, you know, or ha- happens to one of the sex workers, there's some record of who the customers are. Discourages people from getting overly rowdy. I know that uh, this lack of anonymity would discourage a lot of people from hiring sex workers. Uh, will some sex workers sex workers still work illegally, just like many did back in France within the French enacted their regulation system? I mean, yeah. But also, at least it'll protect, you know, some sex workers who want to be protected and provide a proper sanitary place for sex customers not worried about being, you know, seen. You know, like certain brothels in Nevada, such as the Mustang Ranch and Sparks, you know, how they operate right now. The system will at least help law enforcement investigate sexual violence by reducing the amount of random johns and prostitutes. And if this system doesn't work, then I guess, you know, uh, legalization with no governmental oversight would uh, get my vote for second place. Combine that with harsh mandatory minimum sentencing laws for sex traffickers, uh, for customers who hire underage girls, make it so the customer has to ask for age verification in the form of government-issued ID cards, have them take a pic of it so they can prove they were shown it if they get brought into court later for having sex with somebody underage, put more pressure on the customers, you know, and uh, less on the prostitutes. Take that, uh, you know, Swedish slash Canadian approach, but uh, yeah, 
legal pressure on the sex buyer. Also take a, you know, a different cultural stance against prostitution. That'll be very helpful, I think. Maybe uh, that's the most important thing to do to make sex work safer going forward. Make it less taboo. We should move away from viewing sex as male-on-female sexual conquest, where the male is the victor and the woman is the uh, conquered, the loser in a sexual exchange. He's a stud. She's a slut. Viewed in that paradigm, you know, prostitutes are the ultimate sluts and uh, therefore should receive the most shame and judgment. Think about Lee Oxyon, you know, waiting uh, over 40 years to tell her story about being forced to work as a comfort girl. Then when she finally does tell her story, her own brother wants nothing to do with her because, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's touched too many dicks. In her case, not even dicks she wanted to touch, but all those dicks just being around still made her, you know, dirty. If we really want to make things safer for sex workers and and just have happier, healthier uh, sexual cultures in general, we need to abandon our still prevalent, outdated, archaic, Judeo-Christian view of sex being sinful and of women being sexual property. It's fucking barbaric. It's so ignorant. It should have no place in our modern world and rationally, you know, uh... (laughs) It just, it's just not rational. You know, it's based on old laws written by dudes who lived a long time ago, who frankly just weren't very evolved. You know, I've had to work hard to get all that bullshit out of my own head. Took me 20 or so years, but uh, I've done it. I don't view sex that way at all anymore. No part of me thinks it's dirty or shameful or sinful. You know, I didn't want to pass on that damaging sexual view onto my kids. My boy and my girl, now both teens. Would I be ashamed of them for having lots of sex? No. Would I be ashamed of them for uh, being sex workers? No, truly not. I would be concerned for their health and safety. I know that sex workers are far more uh, often exploited, shamed, and treated with violence than the average citizen. And there's still the practical concern about disease, venereal disease is what I'd be worried about uh, you know, the most, even though a number of them uh, diseases are curable now. Uh, what I wouldn't be worried about is uh, you know, gossip spread by those who believe in some old angry God being mad about sex. No part of me believes in a, in a God being worried about how many dicks or pussies we touch. Uh, and I'd be worried about pregnancy. But what if those practical concerns, uh, you know, were, what if we had a remedy there? What, what if um, pregnancy and, and sexual diseases were basically eliminated? What if in the future advances in medicine, further improve contraception, eliminate STIs? I do think that'll happen someday, possibly soon. Would that help change how most of us feel about sex work? You know, if disease and pregnancy wise, there were no unintended consequences for sex, would that take the dirty view, dirty view about sex out of it for you know, most of society? I think it would help a great deal. Yes, there will still be those who judge, you know, sex on the grounds of godliness, you know, under his eye, but, you know, fuck them. Uh, The rest of us don't have to uh, still live in the dark ages just because they still choose to. Finally, how are robots going to, you know, join the uh, sex work debate? They already have, actually. Another thing to think about with the future of prostitution is robotic sex workers. AI pleasure robots, Westworld style. I've talked about this a bit in the past. They're uh, already here in rudimentary form. Companies like Real Doll keep advancing them. Shit's wild. Uh, Sex brothels have already opened in various countries and showing how much work we still have to do culturally regarding our attitudes towards sex. They've largely been shut down by moralists. In 2018, a sex robot brothel shut down in Turin, Italy, two weeks after it opened because of uh, alleged infringements on Italian property law. Uh Uh-huh. Sure, that was the real reason. Not fear of the unknown combined with, you know, viewing sex as sinful. Uh, Also in 2018, these are just a few of many examples. Some dumb fuck Houston city council members uh, blocked a proposal to open a robot sex brothel there. At a city council meeting to determine the fate of the robot brothel, a man named in the U.S. Today article as Pastor Vega said, a business like this would destroy homes, families, finances of our neighbors and cause major community uproars in the city. Well, let the fucking uproars come, Pastor. Change is often painful, even when it's good. And if your family is held together by a thread so fucking thin that a sex robot's going to destroy it, well, maybe it needs to unravel. Maybe your family needs to stop living a lie. Uh, Concerned citizen Virginia Morelli said, 
As a woman, I am concerned and horrified to see where our society is taking us. Virginia, clearly, not a big history student. Uh, society's gotten much better in regards to its treatment of women. Virginia, uh, maybe you should open a fucking book from time to time. Also, how are sex robots taking women's lives into a terrible direction? Seems like some uh, unproven concern here that fucking more robots will lead to, uh, I don't know, more rape or objectification or something of women. It might, but we don't know that. Might also lead to a lot less sexual objectification and rape of women. Less, uh, less sexual interest in general. I'd be more concerned about that, right? That uh, more people are going to want to just fuck robots, not people. Uh, one Houston City Council member, Greg Travis, said he planned to record the business's patrons if it opened, entering the building and shame them online. He said, we are not Sin City. I feel like Greg's an old school, women are the sexual property of godly men kind of guy. Why are you talking about sin in the city council meeting, you fucking idiot? Fuck Greg, fuck his outdated views. Uh, the Gregs of the world. God damn it, they hold us back in so many ways. Uh, how terrible in bed, by the way, do you think Greg, Virginia, and Pastor Vega are? Like if those three got together, I think what would transpire would be uh, in the running for the worst threesome of all time. And I haven't even seen how they look. Uh, many other sex, you know, doll brothels around the world, you know, again, meeting similar resistance. <laughs> and, and that just shows how much of this is just, you know, cultural prejudices against sex. The fucking robots aren't being exploited. They can't be. They don't have sentient thought. We're just mad about it because we think it's sin. Oh boy. I could go on and on. But I think that's enough for today. I think I've thrown out more than enough food for thought uh, already. We got to stop viewing sex as being dirty. The more we do with that, the more we'll think of sex workers as being the dirtiest. And then if something bad happens to them, oh, well, right? Right? They're dirty because they deserve it. They've touched too many dicks, had their faces in too many pusses. That mentality helps serial killers feel better about killing. You know, sex workers helps the rest of us not care as much when they are killed. That mentality damages us all by unnecessarily demonizing a huge part of the human existence. Sex, maybe nothing so clearly illustrates how completely fucking irrational we are as humans and our view of sexuality. And that view, of course, completely saturates our view of prostitution. Prostitution its history around the world, huge topic. We just barely scratched the surface of it uh, here today. I hope I, hope I gave you some, some stuff to think about and debate. Now let's look uh, back uh, on, a, on a few few things we learned uh, here in today's Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one, uh, prostitution really is one of the world's oldest professions, if not the oldest. It's existed for as long as the uh, written human record, probably existed long before that. Where there have been humans, just like with any animal or insect, there has been sex. And where there is sex, there are those willing to sell it and those willing to pay for it. Number two, prostitution, not just a trade uh, for the downtrodden and destitute. That's a common viewpoint, but not true. Uh, ancient Greece and Renaissance Italy, for example, courtesans, uh, Courtesans, uh, more educated than most of their female counterparts, able to hold philosophical conversations, discuss poetry with their clients over feasts. Their influence became so great, they were actually able to affect politics by sharing their views with politicians among their clientele. They were not looked down upon, they were revered. Uh, you know, in a societies much more sex positive than our own here today, oftentimes. Hail Lucifina. Number three, governments have long struggled with what to do or with what not to do regarding prostitution. All the nations and regimes we've covered in our timeline at one point abolished prostitution, tried to regulate it, or enacted some sort of don't ask, don't tell policy. Currently, more and more groups are calling for prostitution to be decriminalized by governments worldwide, most prominently among them, Amnesty, Amnesty International. Number four, uh, one thing we can hopefully all agree on regarding sex work is that forced prostitution should always be abolished. And yet governments in recent history, like Japan, have allowed it. Lee Akshan, uh, kidnapped from her home, forced to become a comfort woman when she's just 14 in Imperial Japan for years, and then had to endure years of the Japanese government refusing to recognize the exploitation of comfort women. And sex trafficking still exists today, right? Jelaine Maxwell, 
Jeffrey Epstein's longtime evil partner in the evil games they played, just found guilty of it. December 29th. And number five, new info. Let's return to Nevada. Did you know that there is currently an Area 51 themed brothel there? Of course there is. Situated on US Highway 95 in Armagosa Valley between Beatty and Vegas. It's only at uh, Alien Cat House Brothel where you can grab an alien themed anything you fucking can imagine. You can fuel up on alien snacks. You can grab a bite at their on-site restaurant. Maybe get your hands on some M80s. I don't know. Aliens like firecrackers, I guess. You can grab a drink. You can pay for some alien themed sex. You can stay anywhere from a few hours to the rest of your life, depending on how much money you have and want to spend. Rooms are designated with such uh, names as Atlantis Fantasy and Holodeck. <laughs> Although the, uh, the the set deck is not incredible. It's usually just, uh, you know, sheer draping and cardboard alien cutouts. Behind one of the doors is the alien abduction and probe room. And in 2019, they introduced sex robots. Owner Rob Thompson, uh, Rod Thompson explained that the technological upgrade has helped improve the experience for both clients and staff. See, sex robots are good because some customers have fetishes that courtesans might not be interested in or are probably healthy and that the robot can fulfill. Mm-hmm. I bet. Come on, Houston, the rest of America. Look at how much fun Nevada is having. All right. They even have a sci-fi brothel now. And the devil hasn't risen, right? Nevada hasn't fallen down into hell or anything. They're doing, they're doing great. The rest of the country would be doing just fine, too, if we opened it all up. Lucifina says, let her rip. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Prostitution, the history and morality of sex work has been sucked. Thank you, Space Lizards, for picking a, another good one. Another interesting topic to kick off a, a new year with. And thanks to the uh, Bad Magic Productions team for all the help making Time Suck every week. Again, big thanks to Joe and Logan for killing it with the new Suck Dungeon Studio. This was the uh, trial run here today's episode. We, I don't know, Joe may tweak the sound a little bit or, or something based on how he reviews things. May tweak the camera angles a little bit. I'm not sure. I know we'll, I know re- refinement is in store, but I think uh, first, first one out the gate, it felt good in here at least. Uh, thanks to Sophie Evans, the fact sorceress, for another great job with initial research. Thanks to the Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, for always killing it. Thanks to Bit Elixir for keeping the Time Suck app running smooth. Uh, Logan again uh, for creating all the merch at badmagicmerch.com and running socials with Lizzie Enchantress Hernandez, who's running the Cult of Curious Facebook uh, 2 page with her wonderful All Seen Eyes moderators. Thank you, Liz. Thank you to Beefsteak and his mod squad keeping Meat Sacks happy over on Discord. Uh, next week on The Suck, the Cult of the Curious examines another cult. We're dissecting the Oneida community founded by John Humphrey Noyes in Oneida, New York in 1841. Older cult. His experiment with utopian socialism uh, would last almost 30 years, and at its peak, the group had about 300 members. Those members worked together to write and produce religious texts, do farm labor, manufacture goods that they would sell to the outside world, and, of course, while we're talking about them, fuck each other's brains out in weird ways. Whole lot of poop polling going on uh, back in Oneida. John Humphrey was uh, sort of an early free love advocate, and under the practice of what he called complex marriage, uh, the Oneida community's members were all married to one another. Everybody's married to each other, the whole group. Showing preference for any one member was a big no-no. Even their fuck rooms were designed to be small and uncomfortable to limit the possibility of someone taking a preference to someone else. And while the communal rooms, you know, large and ornate, uh, they would also practice, uh, you know, other culty behaviors like mutual criticism, in which members were told about their flaws and how much they sucked by the other members of the group, or, uh, be, or they'd be chastised for not adhering to male continence, which was uh, when a man did not ejaculate inside a woman, kind of similar to like a Provo float, similar to soaking. It was a sin in this cult to uh, not have Jedi-level dick control. You're supposed to fuck everyone, but don't be coming. Come on, keep that keep that coming your balls. Come on. <laughs> uh, we'll get, I think, it's weird. We'll get into it all next week. 
and try and make some sense of John Humphrey Noyes' fucking weird-ass life and rules. Cult! 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 And now, let's hear from our cult in this week's Time Sucker Updates. Start things. Uh, let's start things off by promoting uh, something super cool that some musical meat sacks are up to. Kick-ass sucker Mike Carbone writes, Hi, everyone at Bad Magic Productions. I'm messaging you uh, all first to express gratitude for everything you do, continue doing. Uh, truly an inspiration for a lot of us. Thank you. A uh, few of the musicians of the cult of the curious have been discussing and planning to come together and create a musical compilation composed of bands and independent artists of various styles of music. Uh, We've come to an agreement to offer it for free download with the option of name your price as a donation to a charitable cause that will involve helping kids who have aspirations to be musicians in the future, but don't have the income to be able to afford an instrument. We found a charitable organization that does just this. They send musical instruments to kids that petition uh, to them and also help music teachers that are in school districts where the budget is not big enough to help get uh, new music instruments for the classroom. If the teachers do not, does a petition uh, to take care of it. The nonprofit is called hungryformusic.org. We emailed them, let them know that we had planned what we'd planned to do and they were extremely appreciative for all the work being done for this cause. Uh, you might be asking why we're emailing you. Uh, honestly, uh, we're just hoping that you could share the good news. We plan to release the album the 1st of January, 2022. We'll keep it running without an expiration date till we create a new one next year. We uh, also have provided a direct link to donate to the charity. That way we don't have to uh, touch or deal with any of the donation money. It'll go straight to the nonprofit. On the page where the music is downloaded, if anyone does a donation through there, I personally will make sure to pass it directly to the nonprofit. I'll be keeping receipts, download the data to be uh, able to provide it to anyone who requests it with full transparency. The album will be released on the Bandcamp page of Tuza, T-U-Z-A Records, Tuza Records. And uh, yeah, it's tuzarecords.official.bandcamp.com. Uh, I know this email is long. I don't expect it to be read in a live show, but if you uh, all would like to announce it, you know, please do so if you can. I will respectfully understand. Once again, thank you so much for the huge help you've been in many of our lives in so many different ways. Mike Carbone or Carboni, uh, your loyal meat sack. If you have questions or concerns, please email me at uh, tuza.records at gmail.com. Well, Mike, I hope this helps promote your awesome cause. Uh, good on you, man. What a great way to start 2022 by helping others. Helping others create music, which then uh, helps more people. I can't imagine a life without music. Triple M, very happy with what you're up to. Nimrod also pleased. Uh, if anyone wants the links and addresses I just mentioned, they uh, exist in the Time Suck app. Excuse me, I, I've, I've had like what feels like a burp stuck in my chest for the whole show. It's so annoying. Uh, you can download the show notes for every episode. See sources and links and messages like this one. Uh, and now a nice message regarding last week's suck from awesome Gullamitsack, Katie Reinhardt. Uh, Katie writes, Greetings, mother sucker. I write to you from beautiful Beaufort, South Carolina, home of your latest suck. Where it, as, where it is as picturesque and charming as you were led to believe. Also, not to brag, but it's currently 77 degrees and sunny here. Suck it winter. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cold here. It was, uh, went, uh, went skiing this week, and I think it was uh, one degree up on the hill. But, but still pretty, but very cold. Uh, I was elated to hear your suck Monday on Robert Smalls. Nothing like hearing my hota- hometown name spoken correctly by your mush mouth to make my birthday special on the 27th. I am over the moon to hear you tell the story of such an amazing and prolific man to people outside of the place where he was born for people who otherwise would never have known his name. We know his story here well. It has been retold through the years along with naming a school and memorials after this unstoppable force of a man. This town where he was born also has a rich history that fills countless books. To top it off, you talked about Gullah Roots. I am from St. Helena Island, which is one of the sea islands along the coast and a huge part of Gullah culture. You even mentioned Gullah Gullah Island. Holy shit. You have no idea how iconic that show was for us. 
It's still our jam and beats into the heart of all us island kids raised in the 90s. It was filmed primarily on St. Helena Island. I even pop up in a few episodes in the background myself. Ron Days, uh, who played the dad in the show, was me and my husband's English teacher at high school once he stopped acting. That's awesome. Uh, seems my hometown is about as big as your hometown of Riggins. While rehearing any story that has morons who consider racism a tolerable way to live is hard, I did want to share a lighter story. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. also loved coming to Buford. Uh, he wrote part of his I Have a Dream speech while here. I did not know that. They even built him his own cabin out on St. Helena Island, but sadly he was killed before he was able to stay there. Gossip has it that when he was due to come and stay one time, the sheriff was so worried that someone would do something stupid or crazy that he went out and bought all the ammunition in town so there wouldn't be a bullet to be had. <laughs> That's awesome. I could go on forever about my home, like how when Sherman and the Union were heading east after burning Atlanta, the leaders of the town got together and decided getting the hell out of Dodge was the best course of action. It's said that when the Union arrived, the Bufortonians or Beaufort, Tonians, uh, had left so fast there were still full meals left out on dining room tables. It is called, and I shit you not, the Great Skedaddle. That's an awesome name for anything. The Great Skedaddle. Sounds like a great like band's album name. Uh, our antebellum homes are so well-preserved because with no one to oppose them, the Union soldiers did not have to lay siege to the homes, but rather use them as hospitals for the wounded. So yes, Beaufort is haunted as fuck. And if you think Robert Small's house is not a part of that list where things have been known to bump in the night, you would be dead wrong. Anyways, thanks for making Monday suck a little less every week. Thanks for making my birthday one where I just muttered, hell yeah, over and over, Katie. Uh, and I love how you wrote, pronounced like Katie, but spelled way cooler. Yes, C-A-T-E-Y. That's that pretty cool. Well, happy birthday, Katie, and congrats on being able to live in such a fucking cool place. Uh, I truly hope to get to visit uh, Beaufort and St. Helena Island someday. Yeah, the picture is uh, it's fucking gorgeous. And love that you were uh, so involved in that Nickelodeon Gullah Kids show. Uh, one more from a Russian-loving sack, Jay Scott. Jay writes, Dear Suckmaster-in-Chief, Mushmouth Supreme, Air Banjo Expert, uh, I wanted to share a quick life update that includes Time Suck. I'm dating a Russian woman, and I realized I know nothing about Russia that isn't cult culturally insensitive stuff from movies and TV. In an attempt to have, uh, in an attempt to share my interests, I asked her, have you ever heard of Andre <laughs> uh, Andre Chikatilo? She immediately goes in a thick Russian accent. Well, yes, he was a terrible man. How do you know about him? So I tell her about the show and the world is a big deal. And she's listening to it now. Once again, the power of the guilty curious shines through. Uh, but there is a big lesson here for me. I'm a well-traveled, educated professional. I knew nothing about Russia or his people, but assumed I knew a lot. Spending time with her and asking questions, not making judgments. I've learned a great deal about the culture and the challenges and xenophobia Russians face when trying to make a better life in the US of A. I think, I, I think what separates us time suckers from everyone else is that we'd rather learn and not make judgments about people based on face value. I applaud you, O Master Sucker, as well as the Queen and Dr. Reverend Joe Horscock uh, and everyone else for making this world a little more tolerant and better. Hail Lucifina, glory be to Triple M, and keep on sucking. Fuck yeah, Jay. You know, we joke around here uh, a lot, obviously. Uh, fucked up jokes for sure. A lot at uh, Russia's expense. But also understand that the human condition is just that, the human condition. Not the white human condition, not the black human condition, uh, not the American human condition, not the Russian human condition, etc., Right underneath our cultures and subcultures and genders and sexual preferences and et cetera, et cetera. We're all on the same team, team meat sack, all wanderers on a big floating fucking ball where we all live trying to make most of the time we have here. Uh, enjoy getting to know your Russian beauty. Glad you're learning more about Russia than just, uh, you know, what fucked up serial killers have lived and done over there. Uh, thank you for the message. Thanks for the messages, everyone. To have a chance at having your message heard on the show, just email us at bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com or you can message us with the Time Suck apps. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did.
is a it's time to look app singular. I don't know why I gave us multiple apps for a second there. Uh, thanks again for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast, Meat Sacks. Don't force anyone into prostitution this week. Don't hire any child prostitutes. Uh, don't look down on prostitutes of any age. And uh, much like prostitutes do so well, uh, keep on sucking. Bad Magic Productions. I, I didn't realize how much music variety there was here. Should have, should have checked this out a little more before I got into my reading. The British guy. Okay, now he's happy. He's talking about some happy stuff. And then here, okay, still, I don't know if he's happy here. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, dramatic. And then, yeah, this is slower. This is more serious. This is almost like a Russian thing. Then the prostitutes were regulated so hard. We had no fun baguettes to eat. Everyone was so sad. Wish I could have rhymed with eat. I thought of feet, but that don't make sense. And then another song. How's that? That's fucking 10 minutes ahead. It's the same goddamn song. Ah, here's a happy one. <laughs> Prostitution is great. Everybody loves to get their dick fucking grabbed and their pussy touched. That's why we should work to have it be as legal as can be and make it safe for people who like to have their penises touched and touched. And oh, I'm fucking done. I'm an idiot. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.